Toe Jam talked about the artwork. It's like those when you got those bootlegs of like a nude tour concert and it's got a picture from Purple Rain. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like this, there's not even a, a, a song here from like the Dirty Mind era. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> happening in the Prince world, featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tommy Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We are reviewing and discussing Originals by Prince. This is part two of our review. Part two. And discussion. So if you're listening to this and you haven't heard part one, which is highly unlikely, but I'm just putting it out there. Go back and listen to part one first because sequencing is very important as you will learn <laughs> throughout both of these parts of our originals review. If there's one person who's very concerned about the sequencing, it's MC. So <laughs> It will be me. Basically, don't put side B on or side two on before side one. You know what I'm talking about. Those little circles made out of wax. So anyway, let's get on with this show. In part one of our originals review, we finished with the Sheila E song, Holly Rock. And now we're going to track number nine, Baby, You're a Trip. Baby, you're a trip and a half, but I don't care. And I'm going to hand this over to Player. Ooh, this song. Where do we start with this? This is gospel blues, has that church vibe. I like how Prince takes his time with this one on this track. It has that 1999 era vibe and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't hold this over to the deluxe version they're supposedly bringing out towards the end of this year because I think it would have fit nicely on that. Mm. That would require some uh, some thought, forethought, <laughs> so no. Hey, it might still be on that release. That would require, know? that would indicate some sort of plan or something, so no. <laughs> Well, we're in this era now of beauty that we can create our own playlist. So <laughs> when it comes out, we can just stick it on. Oh, yeah. There you go. It's very stripped down from the Jill Jones version. But having said that, I miss the piano on Jill's version that Prince plays. I think the piano he put in Jill's version is a nice embellishment, which is missing here a bit. But it's originals. So, hey. But having said that, we got Jill Jones on the back uh, of <coughs> Say no more. Um, the outro, I really love this part of the song on both Prince and Jill's versions. When I heard the Prince version for the first time 
and it got to the outro section. I was just doing that funk face and I was like, yeah, go get it, Prince. Preach, brother. <laughs> and then when it reaches the end with that scream, I just verbally yelled out, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's just really cool, that part. Because you can feel it. You can feel the, like the affliction that he's, you know, doing at the end of that song. Having said that, I've got to give Jill props for nailing Prince's vocal guide pretty much lick for licks, especially in that outro and that scream at the end. She does a very good job. So well done to Jill. I'm giving it up to her for that. But this, this is awesome. This is really sublime and bluesy and it's just, it's just a really good track. Really good. And I'm really glad that they put this on here. Awesome. Well, I'll follow you up quickly because my notes are limited, but my reaction to this is pretty much as ecstatic as yours. I think it's ecstatic, sorry, I should say. It's awesome. The crystal clear production blows my mind. I don't know how you can take a song from 1982, release it in 2019 and have it sound this, as I said, crystal clear. It's just like, man, it's like listening to music these days, but not quite as compressed. I don't know how they did that. It doesn't apply to everything on this album, but for whatever reason, this is one of the best sounding songs on here, I think, from an audio perspective. It sounds pretty much perfect. The organ sounding synth is pure bliss. Bass playing is nice. He's got great timing. We've always said that over the years as a bass player. And he adds a few nice bass pops to boot in this track. You can hear some guitar trinkets underneath as well. Again, this is a great... You know, Holly Rock, I said, was a great production, very dense arrangement. This is maybe not as dense, but it's very clever arrangement. Everything is like put in at the perfect time, the perfect place. And it really evokes this uh, feeling of distance between two people, the kind of romantic, uh, fantastical nature of relationships and, you know, the games that people play and all this sort of stuff. It's a stunning arrangement. And the vocal harmonies are lush. Uh, to play his point, Jill Jones really pulls off a very effective vocal performance. Prince does as well, obviously. He's Prince, right? The Lin is super snappy. Like, this is probably some of the best-sounding Lin drum I've heard from an audio quality perspective. It's just like, it's got this snap, crackle, and pop to it. Prince's screams are absolutely effortless. The whole thing sounds like you're in the studio with them. Again, a great mixing job. I have to give it up where I think it deserves it, and this song deserves the mixing credit. His vocal fooling around, I guess, is the best way I could describe it when he kind of fools around right at the end of the track. It's very Aretha Franklin-esque or something similar. Like he's really doing a whole lot of runs and vocal lines that are, um, I think Player said gospel blues. That's right there at the end. You can hear it. You know, those are his roots, those roots that he has and um, really brings it out. My last comment before I throw the the mic to uh, someone else is the Jill Jones version. It, you know, when we compare these songs to the versions that ended up being released on other people's albums, her version, and we've spoken about this, is spectacular. Like, this song is great, but I actually prefer the version, maybe not from an audio quality point of view, but from a an overall arrangement and production perspective because of those is that because of Claire Fisher predominantly yeah yeah but it also has extra piano parts it's got some yeah that's what the piano yeah yeah so the so yeah to your point that extra piano is awesome on her version it's actually got extra drum parts on the Jill Jones version there's even more gospel sounding background vocals and of course 
yeah, as Player just mentioned, the orchestral arrangement by Claire Fisher, stunning, takes this song into the stratosphere. And uh, again, I don't want to steal Player's point, but I think it's worthwhile repeating, Jill Jones' vocals on her own version are just stunning. Like, they're incredible. Probably one of the best, if not the best vocal performance she's ever done. She really brings it. And um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have Prince's original version on here. Great track. Take it away, Toe Jam. Um, I'm really happy this came out. I mean, this is uh, recorded, like, I think June or July 82. So this is, you know, from the 1999 sessions. And um, mm. I think, how on earth did this not make the cut of the 1999 album? I mean, I guess yep. that album is already big. It's a double album already. And you think of songs like Moonbeam Levels that didn't make it, this one that didn't make it, and you think, like, songs like Free, and as much as I love that album, it's my favourite album, I think, wow, this could have really taken that album to another level because this is so good so gospely uh which is kind of something that's kind of missing on the on the 1999 album like you know a gospel kind of ballad you were saying that the you know it doesn't have the piano parts that the jill jones version has but it, it does have this organy synth kind of sound um which is much more prominent in this in this version than on jill jones's one and i reckon that's really cool stuff what he's playing there real organy kind of stuff um, but yeah, I totally agree with the, the Lindrum sounds, so just distorted cymbals. I mean, it's the moment you hear that, it's just like, wow, I'm straight back in 1982. And what's interesting is that this one, I think, is, is written for Prince. Like, it's, it's not written for someone else. It's a Prince song that was just, you know, by circumstance, yeah, happened to be is, given yeah. to someone else. Because he, he says, uh, there's a lyric in there somewhere where he talks about, you know, there ain't no other man, you know, you know and I'm the man kind of thing. And it's like, well, you wouldn't be writing that if you, this was intended for Jill. And um, I doth have a bone to pick with player. Oh. Doth not, doth well, not uh, Jill, that no, player's been, you know, saying that, oh, geez. how come Jill Jones's vocals are on there? Doth Bring not Jill Jones's vocals appear on the 1999 album throughout? She was around at the, she was, she was in the studio night and day during this period, so. She's in the video, okay. 99 Little Recovered Videos, and she's credited on the 99 album as a backing vocalist, so. Not there's saying no she wasn't reason. around, but there's a ver the version of this song with Prince on vocals. Okay, so th has even if there on is backing vocals, even if there is a version, but that's just one. That's just one exactly. version, one take. So you know, you imagine take one, so to say, is Prince just entirely Prince. Take two is also 1982 with Jill Jones doing the backing vocals, which is where what this version is. But the premise of this album is original. So if it's, it's take two with Jill, that's not original. Well, original I mean, I, I think Prince that's is kind original. Of, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's really splitting hairs. I'm, I'm splitting, splitting hairs. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> but see, so that's the annoying you know, thing about this entire release is, you know, they can say that this is originals, <laughs> but, you know, there could be 10 takes of a song and they just pick whichever one they feel like putting out or a mix of track take two and take six and go, well, that's the version we're going to put out. So that's the thing that yeah. annoys me. But it's still Prince's original version. So is the version with him on vocal and backing vocal. Why not put that out? I don't know. Go ask Michael Howe. <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll keep going. I really like the... Um... <laughs> I really like the song. You know, it's, it's the love we make in 1982. You make my sunshine, big Prince gospel kind of songs. I really like the end of each sort of like cycle and you hear the bass and the guitar to go. And then it leads into the, you know, the next run through the chords. Prince's vocal when he's doing all that big screaming stuff at around about three minutes onward. And it's distorting quite a bit. Like, you know, when he's doing that, it's, it's quite distorting. And again, it's like, well, that's what happened on Little Red Corvette. You know, his vocals are distorted when he's doing all the screams there as well. So it's just got that 1999 sound all through it. So yeah, I'm really happy this came out. I could put this on the 1999 album as it is and just feel like it's just a seamless thing. 
And uh, one of you guys mentioned earlier about this, why didn't they save this for the a 1999 special edition? Yeah, that, that would have been great. And maybe they, maybe on the special edition, they're going to release the one with Prince's backing vocals. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> or just re-release this one. Who knows? Yeah, well, that's more likely, isn't it? We're about so, to find out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we talked about the song itself, I guess, more in Jill Jones's album review recently. And we, we, we all lavished over the song. It's a great song. And it is interesting to hear this version, which I think fits better as a 1999 album outtake as opposed to the Jill Jones version, which is, even though it has that 1982 sound, it is a polished up, you know, 1987 version effectively. Okay. Well, as we did with the last track, I'm going to hand over to conclude this review to Mr. <laughs> Captain. Captain, you're a trip. I mean, baby, you're a trip. Tell us what your thoughts on this track are. The biggest thing that blows my mind about this song is he wrote this in 1982. He recorded this in 1982. Not 1984, not 1986. And I'm calling this, this is his best ballad up to this point in his career. Tell wow. me a song that's better. Ballad. I'd go Do Me Baby. Do Me Baby. Yeah, I was just the only one I could think of that would be close would be Do Me Baby and International Lover. But I think this this kills both of them. It's just good. Well, it's a really good. lovers, you know, comedy. So it's it's a different kind <laughs> of album. <laughs> it's a different vibe. Yeah. I, I wonder why he never gave International Lover to the time. I never, just on a side note, I never understood that yeah. decision. That would have been such a better thing for like Morris to get. Can you imagine? Especially those lines at the end. Yeah. <laughs> just hear Morris singing that flotation device line. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. That is such a time song when you think about it. But yeah, why he chose to give away this song and keep, what, International Lover on 99. Eh, wrong. It's just wrong. This should have been on there. Send all your feedback to uh, <laughs> Captain Says on Twitter. <laughs> no, I, I love International Lover. It's great. Like, this song is, it's weird in the way that even though it's the, the classic Prince ballad, it's also a little bit country at the same time. You've got these twangy guitars... And you can think of a bunch of songs like that that he's got. There's just a little bit of twang in them and sometimes he really plays up that aspect of those songs. But, yeah, this this one, it's just so good. Like one thing not on this version that is on Jill's is, you know, the Claire Fisher Orchestra with the horns and stuff. Like I like them on Jill's version, but I think this version works better just as this quiet little ballad with the organ. It would totally change the feel of the whole thing if you had the orchestra on this. It's, it's perfect how it is. But, okay, there's a lot to say. I'll talk faster. First of all, start with the bass. MC already said the bass. There's some funky bass in this track. I mean, just, just listen to the tone of that bass before you even get to all the stuff that he does on the bass. It's so good. There's funky, there's bass pops, there's slides all over the place. I'm just going to say a bunch of numbers quickly. Go and listen to these. 102, 134, 148 to 150, 221, 232, 251 to 254, 305 to 310, 339, 404. Listen, just go and listen. Just listen to the whole song. Yeah, yeah listen to the whole to song. and then Five minutes. And then when you get to those bits, listen to the bass. That's it. Now, all these things that he does, it's just for fun. He could have just played the straight notes and the lines, but he just has to funk it up. He cannot help it. And it's so much better because of just all these little things. Then you've got the organ. Like, player misses the piano? Nah, I love the organ. The organ on this, it's... This song would be totally different if the organ wasn't there. It's... Does a door have an organ? Is it a door? Yes. See? Again, one of his best ballads ever. It's not a massive collage of sound. There's just, you know, there's an organ. The organ makes these ballads, I think. It just fits them so good. And God, the guitar. 
get the guitar. Again, just a few, not as many as the bass. 126, 142, 403, 435, just, ah. And yes, the vocals are amazing. Everyone's already said that. The vocals, like two and a half minutes, he really starts going off. Then the crazy screaming starts at about three minutes. That's really good. Three and a half minutes, he does that big vocal, that big slide up. And then just five minutes till the end, just the great outro. And how good is that? I mean, as good as Jill's version is, this this kills it. This kills it for me. Even though Jill's is a big 87 production with all the stuff, this basic, quiet little thing, it's just so good. And yeah, like we said, Jill, talking about Jill, Jill on backing vocals. How is that even possible? Uh, like oh like I said, the, uh, the original version, the original, there's Prince, did all the music, he did the vocals, he did all the backing vocals. And at some point in the future, maybe it was a day later, maybe it was two years later, Jill did backing vocals, but who knows? Well, again, I want to keep harking on this point. I mean, if this was potentially intended for the 1999 album, what we're hearing is, you know, the version for the 1999 album. And of course, the 1999 album all the way through it has Lisa and Jill as the backing vocalists. So technically, it may not be the original, original, original. It's the original in that it's it was originally intended for the 1999 album or that you know, that, that group of songs. Like that version, it exists, it's out there. Why they didn't put that one here, we'll likely never know. Who well, knows? Well, Captain, I mean, I'll change tack slightly from what Tojem's saying. Maybe that's exactly why they didn't put it out because that version does exist in bootleg circles and this one is not around. So therefore, they're giving you stuff you've, you've never heard before as a hardcore Prince fan. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you weren't going to like that, but it's true. There's lots of Prince fans <laughs> who don't want to hear unreleased print tracks just because Jill did the backing vocals. Wow, can't wait to hear that. No, we want to hear Prince. And if Prince did backing vocals, I want to hear them. <laughs> but anyway, this is a great song. Best ballad up to this point in his career, the end. Wow. In his career. Up to up that to point. That point. Of so recording. Yeah. Up yeah. to the point of recording yeah. in 1982. I'm, I'm just curious, Captain, what would you say would be the first ballad then that surpassed this? Ooh. And it had to be electric in, of course. <laughs> no, that, that's what Robert said. No, he's asking Captain, <laughs> not me. So, <laughs> I'd probably say Adore. Okay. Really? Beautiful Ones wouldn't surpass mm, it? Beautiful Ones is good, but, uh, ooh. Nah, I'd say Adore. Oh, but that means I'm saying this is better than Beautiful Ones, right? That's it would do. Yeah. <laughs> That's generally how it works. And Beautiful Ones was only like literally a year, less than a year later. <laughs> okay, then Beautiful Ones. <laughs> and then oh, the gosh, next, this, then this... the next year, uh, Condition of the Heart. And then the next year, mm. uh, sometimes it snows in April. And the next year, Adore. <laughs> he just got better and better. <laughs> Is that the answer? <laughs> that may be the answer. <laughs> we'll take that answer. I don't Done. know why I'm enjoying this particular episode as much as I am, but it's a very interesting recording tonight. Um. <laughs> so by Captain's reasoning, the greatest Prince Ballad of all time is This Could Be Us Remix. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty oh, that's good. Funny. Yeah. No, 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 he doesn't like that one because <laughs> This oh, Could Be Us Remix is not Prince's original <laughs> version. So. Exactly. That's a Josh Welton uh, remix, no thanks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear Take Me With You on Purple Rain, the album. I want to hear Prince's original version. I don't want to blow yeah. his vocals. Exactly. I want to hear him duet with himself oh, funny. on the original. 
<laughs> hey, Captain, if you want to go uh, listen to Prince's original, original, original version, just listen to the John L. Nelson album. <laughs> that's really original. <laughs> but see, that's, this is the annoying thing that, you know, there could be 10 different takes of a track, 10 different versions, and they just yeah. pick a version. Correct. That's annoying. What, what do you want them to do? Release a thousand songs? <laughs> 10 versions of Sex Shooter, 20 versions of Jungle Love. <laughs> they have to choose at some point. If they did that, I wouldn't have anything to whinge about. <laughs> yes, that's and, true. Th- and then we wouldn't have a podcast, so. <laughs> Are you listening to the state? Please send every unreleased piece of music directly to Captain's home immediately yep. <laughs> to satisfy his. his Before I die. That'd be, that'd be nice. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, last one, my last comment before we go to the next track. I just made this connection. I would love to hear in my own head, in some crazy weird Rob S resequenced album version of some album that doesn't exist, I'd actually love to hear Baby or a Trip going into Baby I'm a Star. I don't know where, how, on what album, but Baby or a Trip going into Baby I'm a Star for some reason works really well. He almost wrote the same song twice, but he changed a couple of words and we ended up with two different pieces of music. Anyway, I'm rambling now. I think I might be going a little bit crazy. (laughs) All right, that's that. Baby, you're a trip. The next track is, of course, a massive hit from the 80s. It's a song that originally came out by Sheila E. Track number 10. It's called The Glamorous Life. She wants to leave. And just to be different, I'll hand it over to Toejam. Uh, this is an interesting one because I think this one is definitely nowhere near as polished as the released version from Sheila E. It's much more stripped back. But in a funny kind of way, it kind of, I don't know, I'm not going to say it's better. I'm not going to go there. But it gives a different look on this song, I think. Uh, it makes it a sadder kind of song. Like it's a lot um, like sadder as in the song is a sad song. Whereas I think Sheila E's version is so much polished, you kind of, it overlooks that aspect of the story and, and the chords and this kind of thing. So yeah, obviously in Sheila's one, there's much more percussion, heaps more percussion, bongos, timbali, cymbals, everything. And that's just not here. And because of that, you hear some things that kind of hark back to earlier Prince songs. Like you hear that crisp quaver Lindrum hi-hat sound at the beginning, just like Lady Cab Driver, that quite. So that's interesting, you hear that. Those sustained descending synth chords, uh, they happen at the beginning, but they also happen later on through the song as well. And it suddenly hit me. It's like, they're the same chords from the word, you know, on the um, 3121 album. That It's like, he reused that. And it's like, ah, of course. So there's some, a little bit of a connection. It all, it's all connected. Hmm. The Mm. glamorous life going into the word. Which of course they did on the Alma performance, if I remember correctly. Those two songs are pretty close together. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. So the word is, you know, in some ways it's a hark back to the glamorous life. But yeah, the story of the glamorous life, you know, it's it's about a, you know, a girl who uh, is trying to live the high, you know, the high rolling life, but she's looking for love, you know, and she doesn't know how to handle love when it comes across her. And um, so you get these kind of musical motifs that sort of point towards this, you know, solemnness. Um you get the crying horn line, that, da, 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 you know, it's like crying kind of thing. And uh, you get the raindrops doing the horns as well, that, it's like kind of rain, you know, this sort of same thing in, um, 
17 days, this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, this, all the chords are kind of descending while, while this is all happening, like, yes, it's kind of sad and minor. Uh, and then it gets to the part where it's like, you know, big love, dun, dun, chords going up, real scary. And so it's like building, it's building. And, you know, it finishes on that big diminished kind of scary chord, you know, when they're saying this is real scary. Uh so yeah, it's, it's great storytelling, a great use of, you know, the instruments to highlight the emotion of the story through it. So Prince's vocal is, it's kind of not as emotional as it could be. And I think this is one where it is clearly just a guide vocal and he's not putting his full oomph into it. Or maybe that's just him trying to capture that more sort of solemn kind of mood. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but yeah, this is a really interesting one. It's definitely not as polished as Sheila E's version. But again, from the historian's point of view, this is a really interesting look at this early stripped back version of the glamorous life kind of before Sheila put her stamp on it. Uh, so it's, it's a very interesting track, this one. And it's a great song. I mean, the song is just great pop songwriting, great hooks. The moment you hear it, it's like, you know, this is a, a great 80s classic song. So it's, it's just, it's classical rounds. All right, all right. I'm going to hand it over to Captain now. Thoughts on the glamorous life. This song, another classic Prince song. Now we'll review... This on Sheila, Sheila's album review when we get to it, but Prince's vocal here, it's cool. It is pretty mellow. Like, I never really heard this track except when Prince played it live because I never listened to Sheila's albums. I've probably heard them <gasps> once or twice. And I think I'd like this track more if this was, you know, an original Prince track on a Prince album, as I would have heard it a lot more. Like, because it was, you know, buried on Sheila's album, I just never really listened to it. But um, there's some good stuff in here. There's a great little synth bit at 36 seconds, just out of nowhere. It only happens once in the entire track, and it's just weird. I don't know... I know that bit I think you're talking about, and it's from another song as well, isn't it? And it's not, like, even in tune with anything. It's just a weird little thing. Um... Now, we got, we got Jill Jones on backing vocals. Is that right? <laughs> no comment. Don't go down. No comment. Can't, <laughs> can't get rid of it. I didn't um, get the joke. He said that. I'm like, oh, what? Really? <laughs> like, this also oh, has... She was, she was still around in 1983, you see. Oh, really? She could well be. Okay, yeah, there's also some seriously, like, funky synth stabs all over this track. But again, this is a different mix to what is known to exist and a pointless fade out of literally half the track. Again, I don't know why. Yeah. The second half is as funky as anything. Yeah. Why they cut this song in half, who knows. <laughs> the full version with Prince on vocals is great, but they decided that Prince fans don't need to hear the whole track. So that's just our sad life. Anyway, this is cool to have. I feel okay about this track. I seriously think I would like this twice as more if they hadn't chopped the song in half for no obvious reason. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Here we go. Player. I, I was going to say a few things, but player, go, go ahead. Give us your thoughts on the glamorous life. Okay. This is another Sheila E song on here. One of many. I agree with you guys. This is a really funky track, classic pop track. The Oberheim synths are insane. They're nice and vampy. The lead line after the first chorus, I really love Prince, it's inaudible in the Sheila E version, but it shows up here that Prince is whistling the, the lead line. Mm, um, yeah, and you're you can hear the whistling. Oh, the whistling, yeah. Which I'm glad they've kept that. Yeah, whistling Kenny. There you go, there's a connection. <laughs> it's, all connected. Um, it's all connected. It shows, it shows Prince is trying to demonstrate 
to you know the horn section, how the lead line is played on the horn, which is I think that's really cool, and I like that they've left that in the mix and it's audible. So I'm going to give them a point for that one. Just on the song itself, the lyrics are cleverly written. It's simple but effective. There's some really cool lines in here. She wears her long fur coat of mink even in the summertime. That's really cool. They made haste in the brown sedan. They drove to 55 Secret Street. They made love by the seventh wave. She knew she had a problem. Like the whole song, it's so visual. It's just brilliant. It's like Manic Monday in that term, like in the visual. It's really well done. And then coupled with the music, it's really catchy. So it's a winning combination. It's uh, to what um, Toe Jam and Rob said. It's a, it's a bit like a female player song. Did I? I haven't even spoken yet. Well, you kind of alluded to it when you threw it out there. You hear some percussion in the background. It's not, it's not the timbales in the forefront like the Sheila E version, but I think the timbales are synonymous with this track. And for me, that's the icing of the cake of this song. And it's this song that introduced Sheila E to the world, not only as a singer, but as a percussion player. So I think that's an element that's really missing here, are those timbales. The vocals on the Sheila E track that Sheila does and this version you can hear Prince's vocals on the Sheila version. They're just really low in the mix. They're yeah. just barely audible. But this version, you can hear it in the Sheila version, just Sheila singing over the top of it. But he's is just, like you can just hear him sing it. Yeah. So for this version, it's almost like there's two faders on the board that have come down, the Timbali's fader and Sheila's vocals. <laughs> and it just sounds like this is what they're giving us. I've got to say notable on here is David Coleman on that cello in the intro mm. of the song, doing the lead line. That's a really nice addition. It's really nice and upfront in the mix. I like that. And I've got to give it up for Larry Williams on the sax. And, you know, this is the first Prince track with a sax on it. His style is so much like Eddie M. I thought, you know, this is Eddie M playing, but it's Larry. But his solo is missing here. Like Captain said, they cut this track really quick. It fades out really quickly. It's a shame. I don't know why that is. I don't know if the master tape, if the ending is not in good condition and they've got to fade it out before they get to the, I don't know, the crunchy part or whatever. Like, are, are they trying to cover something there? It just, it just seems a little odd that they've kind of rushed the ending of it and faded it out quickly. It's nice to have. You know, the weird thing with, with that is there's a bunch of tracks that fade out short on this album what Correct. is the chance that all of those tracks they're all in good condition oh, except for that bit near the end <laughs> it's never the start of the song that's bad it's always just the end bit so let's fade it out that's weird well the other thing that's weird is the source well we're assuming that they, they sound like they're in good condition wherever it's come from but if they are tape source that's that's kind of like an alarm bell isn't it mm. if they get something off a cassette oh how are we going to mask this we'll we'll just fade it out <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying this is from a cassette. I'm just saying that that's a technique that they could use to... Yeah. No, I'm not going to use that word. Okay. But that's my review and it's a, I'm, I'm glad it's here. I just wish it was a bit longer. And those timbales, they're like the icing. Like I said, it's the icing. It's all about the frosting. You just want Sheila out there playing with her timbales. That's all you want, isn't it? Well, <laughs> more so. I want to I wanna play that. <laughs> Okay, yes, of course. Uh, Let me round this out. I mean, I feel like it's being a bit repetitive now by saying this is another amazing song. This is another great track. But it is. The kick drum and sax intro to this one is super nice. Before that melodic motif comes in on both keys and synth, his production is super 80s. And that doesn't really tell us too much because obviously it was 
produced in the 80s. But <laughs> what I mean by that is it's so... I knew Captain was going to love that line. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just, I don't know how, to, how else to describe it other than like, it's got a, like a Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack kind of vibe to me. <laughs> that's, that's probably Crazy the best. Frog. Yeah. <laughs> no, Axel F. Axel F. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Shout out to Eddie M. And I'm talking about Murphy. A, a, a bit reminiscent of... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. I'm sure he's bit, listening. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's a massive Prince fan. Come on. Between him and <laughs> Rick James, how did you... Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. Look, this song is a bit reminiscent of... From a from an audio and production standpoint, it reminds me a little bit of Rick James and the kind of stuff he was doing from the early 80s. So to some degree, I feel like Prince is, whether he's doing it consciously or subconsciously, I think he was very much, and whether or not he would admit it or not is another thing, but I think he was very much influenced by some of the stuff that Rick was putting out, uh, which in and of itself was great. So there's, a, there's some sort of link there to me anyway when I hear this. It's interesting to hear, to play his point, Prince whistling the melody in the background. I love that massive exclamation mark in my notes there because it's the first time I, I, well, first of all, it's not in the Sheila version, right? And so when I heard this the first time, I noticed it straight away and it was like, oh, wow, that's that's a new element. How many other tracks have we heard Prince whistling? I don't know that I have heard Prince whistling. I can't think any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's something. No, there's definitely one. Does he whistle in Whistling Kenny? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But you know, whatever. Maybe in the original, original, original version uh, of the song "Get Off," where <laughs> he whistled it. Of, yeah, he whistled the uh, lead line of Eric's flute. <laughs> now, Eric, this is how it goes. He whistles Here we go. at the start of Party Men video. Oh yeah. Oh, you got it. Here we and go. also okay. in yeah, uh, Dion off the Truth album uh, towards the end when he's getting oh, a bit yeah, tipsy. Oh so, yes. Welcome to the Whistling Keddy podcast. <laughs> 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 we should have an episode about all the times Prince whistles Prince, in his recording. Prince's greatest <laughs> whistles. whistles. Top 10 greatest whistles. Let's get a survey. The top Remixes. 10 whistles. <laughs> Back to the song. Not only the whistle in the background, which which actually is cool. It's not just a novelty. It really is cool because it gives you a, a deeper insight into Prince the musician. Like, you know, he whistles stuff, people. But no, on a serious note, his high-pitched background harmonizing from a vocal perspective which is really close to Sheila's actual lead vocal pitch that she uses when singing this track on her own album. That is super cool because clearly his background harmony was used for her lead harmony, the way I hear it. This is a typical Minneapolis sound, snare and kick drum styling. We all know that and we all love that. And it sounds super syncopated. And I think Sheila is the one that contributes a lot of that syncopated vibe here. Even without Sheila's extra percussion, I do not doubt that the version, the original version, if you will, that we're listening to was influenced by Sheila. Had to have been. It's super groovy with Prince, you know, behind the mix and behind the desk. That's no surprise, but it almost sounds like as if there are two separate melody lines playing. In fact, I think there are. Now, I don't know if anyone else is picking that up, but there are two different melodies to my ears playing at the, simultaneously at the same time. As for the lyrics, I'm with ToeJam. I never realized how deep and poignant these lyrics were until I heard Prince sing them. And he sings them in his normal kind of mid-range register, which make the lyrics more apparent. There's a notion out there that when people sing in a high pitch, especially in falsetto, 
it's harder to kind of A, understand lyrics and B, be affected by them. You know, the bass notes, they kind of hit you more, more so and they're easier to hear vocals that way. So I think maybe that's got something to do with it. But I think Tojam also said this, that the way that Prince sings this is more melancholic and I agree with that. So between the melancholia and the pronunciation, yeah, this song takes a different vibe. It's actually more... I won't say sinister, but it's actually quite sad. You so, know, you said the same thing about Manic Monday as well. Yeah, but I think yes. it's just because he's doing like a lazy guide vocal. It's it's Maybe. hard to tell the difference because, yeah, who knows? Well, the other element to this is is both of those songs were in, intended for Apollonia Six. This was as well, oh, and yeah. then. He yanked it ah. and gave it to Sheila. And maybe that's why those percussion elements aren't as prominent in this because maybe it wasn't there at that time for um, for Sheila hmm. because it was intended for Apollonia. And maybe, yeah, the same thing with the vocal. Maybe it's, it's a bit lower so that she can hit those notes maybe. I don't know. Mm. See, this is very interesting. And, and I have to credit Dwayne Tudal's research for, for the point that I'm about to make. And maybe Toe Jam, I mean, all of us, but Toe Jam as a resident muso might find this interesting that upon arrival to the studio, Prince quickly started laying down a melody in E flat minor using only the black keys on piano. The song would eventually be called The Glamorous Life and would ultimately be given to someone who had been visiting Prince in the studio recently, Sheila Escovito. So at this point, it's definitely still a Prince song, but Sheila is around. So she's, um, you know, she is an influence and, she, you know, she's on the scene. The other person that's on the scene is Jill Jones. She's still around. And the day after the basic tracks, now this is just me now. This is so the Dwayne Tadal bit is over, but <laughs> just to ensure that listeners understand that they're not listening to me do an audiobook version of Dwayne Tadal's book. <laughs> These are now my comments again. When looking at the credits for this song, yes, Jill is on backing vocals. And the reason why is because she recorded them a day after Prince laid down the basic tracks for this song. So that's a fact, historical fact, and it makes perfect sense. So I'm fine with that. And what else can I tell you about this? Yeah, the the interesting thing for this, as far as this Prince Originals version is concerned, is the drum groove. Again, I'm not going to read word for word from from Dwayne's book but and again another massive plug and shout out because if it's if it wasn't for his work a, a lot of the detail behind these tracks we wouldn't have we certainly don't have them from the liner notes plus so, plus you can also put that down to this album because going through all these tracks plus just having done our Jill Jones review I never realized how much Jill was in stuff until mm. doing the review of her album and reading stuff and then going through all this and referencing so many other songs that she's on. I just never, like I probably read it, but it just never got in my brain. But she was on, she was on so many tracks and I just never, yeah. it never, and I'm just comprehending it now. Yeah, it is. It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about Jill, but it applies to so many people. And in fact, if I've got my facts correct, and I hope I do, the Glamorous Life was the basic tracks and sax overdubs were recorded on day one, no vocals. So, you know, the story goes that Prince would very often just put some sort of groove on the drum kit, on the LM1 in this case, the Lin, Lin drum, uh, and then he would add other stuff on top, whether it was a bass or keys or guitar or whatever. So the story goes that he did the same thing here. He would first, did, he did the drum track, then he did a bass overdub, and then he went on and on and on. And then, you know, he was up to the next bit. And allegedly he realized that there was something missing from the song, a saxophone. And based on 
the expanded edition of Prince and Purple Rain era studio sessions, a reference to Dwayne's book again, he needed someone to play sax, like a real sax for the first time in his career up to that point. So that's super interesting because, you know, Prince is composing this, he's putting this together and he realizes, shit, I think I need a saxophone for the first time. And then all of a sudden we get a saxophone overdub. And I should shout out, I don't have the name. I should really check this. I believe it's Larry Williams, is it? Is yeah, that the, Larry Williams. Guys, yeah. That's the guy's name? Yeah. So Larry Williams yeah. comes into the studio because he was recently recording in the same studio as Prince and he puts a, a sax idea and a saxophone section together, which is absolutely crazy. For more details, and, and they are super insightful, super incredible to, to learn about, please read Dwayne's book. Um, it's definitely worth it. So... Yeah, it's just super interesting. But then a day later they come back and Prince cuts his vocals and Jill Jones, who is in the studio, does her background vocals on the same day as Prince records his. So, you know, within a couple of days, you've basically got this original's version, like two days, and we're listening to that? Unbelievable. So it also also speaks to how, how how quick he was working. Can I ask you guys your thoughts? If this was left with Apollonia 6, like this song made Sheila E a big star, do you think, this would have been a massive hit for Apollonia no. 6, hmm. considering that it wouldn't have had the Timbales and all that. I don't think Apollonia no. would have ever taken off. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Well, no matter how great the songs were, I just, it wouldn't have happened. See, I think, yeah, Sheila, Sheila's, she's so talented in her own right that it was just a waiting for the right song kind of thing. And with the two of them together, I think it makes a great you know, the great song and Sheila E together make this. Do you think if Apollonia sang every track on Controversy, Apollonia would have been famous? No. <laughs> it doesn't matter what song you gave her. It's just, I she wasn't a great singer. The whole concept of just, it was just so tacky when you think about it. Here's three girls in their lingerie. I... That just never would have gotten big. It was meant to be a little side project thing that he had fun with. <laughs> And then it just died away and it disappeared. And that's what it was meant to do, I think. I don't, yeah, except when you threw, (laughs) when you threw out to us and to our audience, if Apollonia sang on every song on Contra, that's a pretty incredible album. I reckon (laughs) anyone who was half decent performing that material probably would have, their career would have taken off. I'm not saying it would have been sustained for 30 or 40 years. So you think she's a half-decent singer? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm (laughs) saying maybe I should just finish my notes on Glamorous Life and move on. (laughs) But, yeah, so it's just this story about Glamorous Life. You know, in a couple of days he's got this track. And, yes, you know, there is a longer version. But back to Sheila and Sheila's version and to some of the points that Captain just made, I do think that the fact that the timbales and percussive elements are on there, really take this song into overdrive. I prefer Sheila's version much more to this. I love how it, 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 Sheila's version actually starts with the timbales straight away, you know, which is, you know, in keeping with, with what she's about to some degree. The sax though, that's the only thing that bothers me about the, the version that's on Sheila's album. It's just way too low. I don't know whether I'm saying that because the sax on this version is so high, mixed really high, or loud in the mix, but yeah, the sax needs to be higher on, on Sheila's version, I feel. Prince's backup vocals are actually subtly different in the version on Sheila's album. So listen out for that. And the other thing is, and this is a comment on Sheila's version, not, not this one. As I was listening to Sheila sing the lyrics, I actually kind of wished in my mind, in my own fantasy world, that she changed the words from she to I, 
in the song. So in other words, I, I would kind of imagine and in fact would pre- prefer her singing, I, I, want, to I want to lead a glamorous life but without love it ain't much. So if she kind of personalized it, I reckon that would take on that darker melancholic feel and would give the song a completely different vibe. But because she continues to sing, see, so Prince wrote this song mm. for, a, you know, describing a character. So he uses the word she. She wants to lead the ground on the but, but because, and I think this speaks to Toe Jam's point slightly, because Sheila just used those lyrics exactly as they were and didn't personalize it, I feel like, okay, it was still a massive pop hit, but as a piece of art, it just missed that that final bit of depth. But that's just a, like a that's just a songwriting thing. You can write first person, you can write third person, Correct. and she decided to keep it as third person. As it was, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe it would be a little bit, in a, not inappropriate, but maybe uncomfortable if she didn't, if, for example, if she didn't identify with the song, why should she sing, I want to lead the glamorous life, but without love it ain't much. Anyway, it's just me and my crazy universe. Just an idea. I just yeah, want to say one more thing before thoughts. we go on to the next song. When I was um, listening, comparing the two versions, I was watching Sheila E's video on YouTube, the original video. And man, she's smoking in that video. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> A great way to end that. Here we go. <laughs> the next song up in the running order is track number 11. Gigolos Get Lonely Too. Take it away. 100%. This mother yucca's going to throw to me for this one. I'm, <laughs> I'm just shooting gigolo. You watch. You watch. He's going to throw to me. Because you're the player. <laughs> so just, just, <laughs> just, for so, just for something different, take it away, player. <laughs> um, okay. Gigolos get lonely too. Yes, we do. <laughs> this, man, like I see online... The fan reaction to this song is insane. Everybody's like, oh, Jigolos Get Lonely too." Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's like, when the album comes out, originals, this is the first thing I want to hear. Everything. But like when you listen to it, it's almost identical to the time mm. version. Almost identical. There's a few little things, but all in all, it's pretty much the same run through. So mm. I believe I'm kind of missing something, like I'm in the Twilight Zone, because everyone's like going gaga for this and I'm not saying it's a bad track. It's great. But they're like, oh, my God, it's Prince's version of And it's like, but it's no, it's not that drastically different to the time. And version, not to so mention, it's it's I'm not s- even a good song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Your turn's coming. Song. It's coming. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it is a great song, but it's, I just don't get the overhype on it. And if someone can explain it to me, please do, because it just sounds exactly the same as the time <laughs> version. The bass and the chorus, if when you isolate that, man, ear candy, go and do it. The one thing that's on this that's not on the time version, and I really love it, is the scatting. When he starts scatting the da, 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 and all that sort of stuff, that's really nice. And that doesn't feature in the time version. But aside from that, they're identical. And one other point I want to make, because I don't have that many notes on this, like I said, because it's identical, Prince's vocals is effortless on this whereas Morris mm. <laughs> I feel when he tries to do the song he's it's hard work a bit it's some hard work for him it's it's hard work for Morris but for Prince it's just butter like it's butter on toast for him <laughs> Morris he 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 struggles it takes but time you that, could say he, it takes time mm-mm. yeah I mean Morris has a good crack he, he does a good crack at it but when you listen to this you're like yeah, effortless like, yeah, Morris was struggling with that, yeah. 
So that's my uh, review. It's a great song. I don't mm. know why people are going uber crazy about why this is any different to the time version because to me they sound identical, <laughs> virtually identical. Next. Well, there you go. Mm. Mr. Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? We reviewed this song when we reviewed the, the Time albums and I, I'm not a big fan of this track when the Time performed it and with Prince on vocals, it's about 10% better than the other <laughs> version. I mean, it's a good vocal performance, but, uh, you know, every, every time I hear this song, it reminds me of the story where uh, I think it was Sheila, like, made a bet with Prince that he couldn't make a song out of la, 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 he, 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 and then he did. And then it sounds like somebody bet him he couldn't write a song with a chorus consisting of such a stupid phrase as contrary to rumour. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I'm like, someone bet him that he couldn't write a song with that phrase as the chorus. Because it's just ridiculous. Also, you've got the guitar on this song, which again, it's him doing thank you for letting me beat myself, Sly and the Family Stone. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, uh, I don't know. Another fade. Uh, supposedly the full unedited version of this is like over 10 minutes long. That just would have been insane. Oh, wow. But, you know, us just stupid fans don't deserve to get that. So the end. <laughs> all right, all right. I am not a huge fan of this track in general. Like it's okay, but yeah, I'm kind of like with, with both of you. It's just, And it's also not significantly different. It's not even moderately different from the time version. I don't really care for the bouncy, plasticky snare sounds. Now, I know they're on the Time album as well. But they kind of sound really cheap and MIDI-like yeah. to me. But they, I, they that boom, boom, boom. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I, what I do like is the synth chords underneath and the... Yeah, they're nice, yeah. And the kind of... Yeah, so it adds a cool layer. And then the live drum set kicks in and... Prince's vocals. See, the thing about Prince's vocals on this version are, are more like kind of bedroom R and B here. They're, they're kind of they're more a little bit more Mac style, more a bit more maybe not even more Mac style, but they're more sincere and heartfelt, I guess. Whereas actually, Morris Days are more Mac styled. He's more like the the lonely pimp style vocal version, and possibly. It doesn't have as much to do with just the vocals themselves, but more so the fact that every time Morris sings, the Morris Day character is in full effect. And you can never really take the Morris Day character out of the equation. And so therefore, I feel like any Morris Day in the Time song can never be taken fully seriously because they're not about serious like crooning and balladry. They never were. They're about funking it up giving you a party that you're never going to forget and just, you know, living life to the full and also being hilarious at the same time. So like when you hear Prince sing this, you actually believe that he could maybe consider himself a, a bit of a lonely gigolo. But when you hear Morris sing this, you're like, <laughs> wait a minute, what is he up to? Like, you know, he's up to something. Yeah. Here. I know he's singing these lyrics, but he wants to get, you know. That's the plan. Uh, as the term goes, <laughs> butt naked. So... <laughs> The vocal stylings from 3 minutes and 5 seconds to 3 minutes 25 seconds is my favorite part here. It's also my favorite part in the time version. Those harmonies, we say without stopping. Really cool. Very simple, but it really adds something to the track. You know, it's the part where he sings, um, there's also the part where he sings all my lovers need stimulation in a descending sequence. And if you listen carefully to that bit, 
for the slightest second, I think of a very similar descending vocal line from the Bowie song from about their mid-70s, Fame, where he sings, Fame, 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 fame. You listen to it and you'll see a, a very, very subtle similarity there. Morris is actually a pretty good singer within his range, I think. But again, it's so Contrary easy. to rumour. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's so easy to overlook how he sounds as a vocalist many times. And this is a good example when you listen to the time version of this because of his persona attitude and kind of his performance sensibilities. Yeah, not much else to say about this. Along with Makeup, this is the second song on the album so far that I, like if it wasn't on here, I wouldn't be disappointed. With that, take it away, player. You could do without it? Without yeah, me again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just can't get it. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, finish this up for us, Toe Jam. Uh, well, we reviewed this, like Captain said, when we did the Time albums. And I remember, if I remember correctly, I might be wrong. I liked it then. I like the song. It's a, it's a great little song. And it, I totally agree with what everything, what all of you guys are saying is that Prince's vocal makes it more believable. Whereas Morris's, you have that comedic element to it and you don't know how serious to take it. I, I read here and it's, it's sort of, it's literally true, but it's also kind of metaphorically true as well. In the early verses, Prince is a little bit flat. He's a little bit under the note, but it works perfectly for the song. Whereas you listen to Morris do the same line, he's a little bit sharp, he's a little bit above the note. And like I said, it's literally true. That's literally what's going on. But also it's the metaphor of that as well, like in terms of the emotion of this song. It's a theme that Prince covered a couple of times in his career with Christopher Tracy, you know, the gigolo who's looking for love. And also mm. the song Shubadoo from the New Power Soul album, a very underrated song, that one, uh, which again is about, you know, the life of a hooker basically and the loneliness that comes with it. So this might be very tempting to sort of push aside and go, this is a cheesy little song about a gigolo. But, you know, for Prince, I think these kind of songs meant something a bit more. Maybe it's because, you know, he saw himself as, you know, he knew that he had kind of this sex symbol kind of image, but, you know, behind it all, he kind of saw through that a bit as well. Um, so that's interesting. But like Player said, the arrangement here is it's exactly the same. Certainly the mix is different. You can listen to it and you think, oh, okay, that instrument's a bit louder, that one's a bit softer. But in terms of the instruments, it's all exactly the same. It's the same version other than when he scats along to the instrumental bit towards the end. That's, yeah. that's really the only difference. That's cool. Yeah. But it's just, it's just... Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. But I just think there's some really great interplay throughout the whole song between all the instruments, between the bass, the drums, the guitar, some little interesting little keyboard just ding, you know, these kind of things that give it that lonely kind of feel. Mm. While I was listening to the, uh, the, the time version on YouTube, I was reading comments on there. And someone had just said, this song, it's just so chill. And I thought, yeah, it is. This, this song is, it, it is, it's just so chill. That's the best way to describe it. So I think this is interesting in the respect that even though it's basically the same, it is interesting to show the timeless time. And when you remove mm. that, you know, we, we love Morris Day, don't get me wrong. But when you remove that comedic element yeah. to it, some of these songs are potentially a bit deeper than, you know, they came out as. So it's very interesting. The other one little tiny thing I wrote down here, those chords at the beginning, they're not the same chords, but there's a similar kind of idea is, and I was thinking, is this written before Little Red Corvette or it's around the same time? Because it's kind of similar the way it's those three chords, sustaining chords, and it just kind of descends and then falls back. And it is quite different, but yeah, yeah. there might be a little that's bit of a connection there. Mm. So yeah, forget- that's, my, that's my review of Gigolos Get Lonely too. So you mentioned something, and again, <laughs> there's a lot of tangents being thrown out on this show for sure, on this episode, definitely. 
But one that I think is also worth mentioning that is not specifically related just to this track, but in some way, Toe Jam's comments have got me thinking that, okay, the timeless time, but you can also expand that out to the Sheila-less, you know, Sheila E albums or the the Jill Jones-less Jill Jones record and all the rest of it. And we're about to talk about a song in a second that kind of fits that mold and, and we'll get to that. But okay, these are Prince's originals, right? There seems to be a theme, not in all of these songs, but in a good chunk of them where there is a serious undertone, a more poetic side, a more, let's call it melancholic, you know, a sadder side, a more serious side to Prince. I wonder if songs like Jigglers Get Lonely, Glamorous Life, songs that are a little bit more, you know, they're they're just, they're trying to say something about maybe what Prince is feeling and thinking and going through. But instead of releasing them as songs on his own albums, he covers them up in the vocals and and the visuals and the characters and performances of other people. So in other words, he still wants to get these thoughts out that he's having. He still wants to say what he wants to say because it's on his mind. But maybe he doesn't necessarily want people to think, oh, Prince is this vulnerable. Prince is singing about loneliness and about... Mm wanting to lead the glamorous life, but but without life, it ain't much. Yeah. Who will ever know? We may never know whether the, the original thought of a creative person, it's hard to decide or to decipher what the true source of it is or what it inspired. There's a chance, I'm just putting it out there, that he thought that those lyrics related to him in some way. Maybe he wanted to lead the gl- glamorous life, but realized that without love, it ain't much. But he thought, oh, you, uh, no, I'm going to turn this into a story song. Now, I know I'm reaching. I know I'm putting things out there that uh, may have no merit, but who knows? Well, don't forget, we know he's got a history of any time that he wrote a song that revealed too much or was, you know, too sensitive or vulnerable or whatever, he either changed the lyrics or totally dumped the song. Mm. So for him to pass them off to someone else, similar thing. He's not putting it out under his own name. Yeah, exactly. When I made that comment, I spoke about the last two songs we've spoken about, we've reviewed, sorry, Mm. Glamorous Live and Jigglers Get Lonely 2. But what I'm saying replies to Baby You're a Trip. It applies to You're My Love to some degree. It definitely applies to Noon Rendezvous and Manic Monday. And it applies to some of the songs potentially that we're about to talk about. So I think there's something there. Um, Very multifaceted artist and potentially, I'm going to make a massive statement now to play his point. I think it's worthwhile making the point that potentially some of the music that's going to come out is going to be some of the most revealing material that he recorded. So He's hoping. Yeah. yeah, there's an ethical question mark there that maybe we can cover in a future episode. All right, guys, from a song about being a gigolo and being lonely. So in some ways you could say it's a song about love of sorts. We go into a song that's definitely about love. The words in the title, it is track number 12, Love Thy Will Be Done. So I'm going to pass it over to Toe Jam to start this song off with his review. Well, I feel this song, to hardcore Prince fans, this is sort of an iconic song. Uh, It's been around for a while. It was on Martika's 
second album, I believe, uh, which Prince also contributed a few other bits and pieces to. And this was the sort of the main one. There's also a video clip that Martika did for this. And Prince himself played it live, like, sporadically from, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. Often it would turn up in a piano medley. Other times it would be a full band rendition. Other times it would be like a guitar version or something. Um, So it was one of these songs that was sort of around, never really cemented itself as a staple, maybe except in the Welcome to Australia tours he did it a few times there. But it was sort of one of these songs that's always around. And it's a, it's a really beautiful melody. It's a beautiful song. I just love the tempo of the song and the beat. Like, it's just so hypnotic. It just goes round and round. And the beat sounds really simple, but there's actually a bit more to it than you th- might think. There's like little bongos going on. There's this sort of like um, these quavers that are just sort of doing the tonic note, but they're sort of going from like, you know, low to high EQ. So it's sort of got this wop, 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 wop sort of rolling thing that goes along. It's a really interesting kind of beat. But yeah, so there's a whole lot of little bits going on to that beat. And then you get the chords coming over that. They sort of hang and they fall. Um, and just the melody is is really beautiful over the top of all that. There's a few differences between Martika's, the, official, the original officially released version and um, this version, but they're primarily the same. Um, they're very similar. I think Martika's version, it's just been polished up a bit more. Uh, you've got yeah. that soaring slide guitar, electric guitar doing the lead line, whereas in Prince's one, it's just Prince singing the lead line sort of in the background, which is basically just the melody for the verse line anyway. Uh, in Martika's version, you've actually got some actual strings sort of chugging along. There's a big bass drone um, at one point in Martika's version. So I think Martika's version is definitely more polished. It builds better. I think it's a better overall song. But as we've been saying, like this is really fascinating to hear the earliest, well, presumably the earliest version of this song with Prince's version. I love all the big layered background vocals and they're even they're louder than the actual main lead vocal in the mix. And Prince did that a, a fair bit. And, um, you know, he's doing these big kind of interplay with the verse um lyrics and he's also doing all those whoa ho ho ho's and all this all this sort of vocal acrobatics that go along with that so it's really got this big kind of churchy gospel kind of sound um and i love the bit at two minutes 50 to three minutes 10 where the vocal just keeps going keeps saying word after word after word after word it's like your ear can't it's waiting for it to stop to have a breath but you just keep going with it it's really cool now lyrics one thing you know this song is obviously a religious song and obviously prince has a certain idea about what that means to him. But what I love about this song and his religious songs of this period is that they're not in your face. They're they're vague enough that you can relate to them even if you don't share that particular faith. So I, I like these songs like The Cross, Love Thy Will Be Done. You can appreciate them for what they are and you can feel something from them without going, oh, he's talking about Jesus or something like that. So I like that about this song. So I think it's a really great song, beautiful melody, uh, very good arrangement. I think Martika's version is definitely the more polished one, but this is a really fascinating insight as always. Bang. All right. I'll interject before throwing to player. And I'm interjecting because something that Tojam mentioned caught my ear, which was this idea about this being, you know, one of Prince's religious songs. But really anything that's religious or spiritual about this song should be down to predominantly, I would say, Martika herself, because she's the one who came up with the words, the lyricism, the, you know, the vivid imagery yeah. throughout. So... Oh, really? Really, this that. is... Yeah, really. So she, she yeah. read the well, lyrics? Oh, wow. Mostly. The story is that she gave her a book of her poetry stuff, and he went through, picked this one, she contacted him because that poetry book that you speak of, she watched <laughs> Graffiti Bridge and 
she thought that the themes that he was discussing in that movie matched to what she was writing. So she exactly. contacted yeah, yeah. him and she said, like, you know, I identify with, like, what you're doing in Graffiti Bridge. And, yeah, and then from there they started collaborating. And then it went, like, it was just, like, tapes going back and forth. That makes an awful yeah, lot so of sense because the moment you hear this song, you think this just could have been straight off Ingrid Chavez's album. Like, <laughs> It's funny you say that. It's or vice versa. And they even you know. look the same. Yeah, exactly. The same look. Yeah. Yeah, so there is some overlap, at least from a visual perspective and, and in style as well because this this is really, I always think of this, it's similar in, to Ingrid Chavez material in the sense that it's poetry set to music or or something of that sort. So, um, yeah, that, that's the way I took it. So it's a collaboration. We've, we've established that between Martika's words and his music. But the music that he puts to this, and in fact the music that he created, this thing that came out of his brain and that he envelops Martika's words with, the music itself is super spiritual sounding. Now, of course, some of that has to be down to the words and you can't get away from it. But for me, it's always the case that when I listen to this, it's a super emotive experience. So musically from that one note bass line, dun, 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 uh, reverberated snare, it's, it sounds like it's played in a fairly large room yeah, with no light, haha. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of got this space around the snare hit. The melody during the verses and during the chords almost sounds like some lost, forgotten classic violin riff. I don't know what it is, but that little dun 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 dun, it turns into this airy New Age style. I don't know, trebly synth hook basically, and that's really cool to listen to. Prince sounds naked in this song. I think he just he sounds like he's exposed and again some of that has to be well he did record in the studio by himself so who knows what he was doing <laughs> exactly <laughs> maybe we maybe if there was an engineer in for this session we can ask now nah, he, he just gets the engineer to start recording now get out kicks them out yeah who knows what happened in there <laughs> he sounds naked as in i think he's bearing a part of himself in this song when he sings it her vocals seem to be a little bit more poppy his seem a, a bit more soulful when he sings this, the, the words in this track, to me, there's no artifice. There's, there's just this sense of Prince creating vocally. He's creating a modern spiritual classic. Like those harmonies, they are ridiculous. Incredibly mm. nice to hear. Crazy towards the end. It's, it basically towards the end, it sounds like a manic choir Monday. of Prince. <laughs> manic Monday choir. There you go. Uh, there's something you know what that, you I just think. said there about his vocal? Mm. We've said so many times how emotive his voice can be when he wants to. And that's one thing that's on some tracks on this album is lacking because he is just doing like a guide vocal for someone to copy. He's yeah. not giving it everything. And mm. this song is not one of those, but, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah. He can sound so emotive, but songs, a few songs on this album, it's just like, here's the guide vocal. I'm not putting too much energy into this. This one's different though. Yeah, well, I think he sounds really in the zone on this one. And uh, as I was saying, it's like this manic choir of princes about two thirds of the way through with his vocals just stacked on top of each other. It's brilliant listening. And I love the addition of hand claps to close it out. It's such, it's yeah. such a simple musical element, but it, that takes it to church, basically. And it's subtle, so it's not full-on you know, yeah. Pentecostalism, but <laughs> it's there. It's there. There's enough in there to, to make you kind of get out of your seat. 
I can feel mm. the spirit kind of stuff, but it's very subtle. Once again, though, this reminds me of how Prince opened his second Sydney Opera House Piano and Mike show on February 20th, 2016. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you remember that? that Here was... he comes, Mr. Note Stealer again. What do you know? Oh, shit. Okay, well, I'll let Player and Captain talk about that. But <laughs> it is a vivid memory. I've, had, I've got so many. I'm grateful that not only I, but all the four of us have our own personal vivid memories that's one of my most vivid ones. It's just there was something in the air that night and what a way to open the show. But, yeah, that, it reminds me of that. And this this song has magic. It has spirit. It's it's alive. And Spirit, one of the other tracks he wrote on Martika's album. Ooh, there, you, there you go. Which is a good song too. Yeah, I mean, that album is pretty, pretty good overall. But I'll just close on the Martika version just for a bit of comparison. It's basically musically virtually identical to Prince's because... Presumably she took Prince's musical version, or music, I should say, and made her version out of that. I will say her vocals are great as well. I mean, this would have been a great song for Madonna, I think, at the time. I think she could have pulled it off and Matika does a good Ooh, job. that's interesting. Yeah, it's a bit like a Justify My Love-ish, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's something mm. there. And, you know, as much... As much uh, Negative criticism as Madonna's been getting, I think, recently in the press, etc. You leave that pirate alone. She's having a great old time. (laughs) (laughs) Slick Rick. (laughs) That's right. Madam X. Shout out. Uh, Yeah, there is a Madonna. I can hear Madonna on this track. And funnily enough, you know, with Prince's work on Madonna's 1989 album and, you know, Graffiti Bridge and, and then Justify My Love and all that happening around the same time, I'm actually surprised that Madonna never tracked her vocals on this version, even as an experiment or a demo. I mean, she was in Paisley around that time, so I think a missed opportunity for sure. Could she have sung this song, though? Yes, yes. Is she a decent enough singer she could have yes. pulled this off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose I with so. auto-tune and everything, she, yeah. No, no, I think without auto-tune. Like, if you listen to something like Cherish or whatever, she's got... Mm. Madonna's... Okay, she may not have the world's greatest range, but she's... In the studio, you, you can you can make some magic. Live's, live's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're really ripping on it. No, I think Madonna's got a... Well, did you, just, did you see her at Eurovision? Come on. That was awful. Seriously, like one of the worst things I've seen. But studio, you know, great. <laughs> I will say Madonna, there's something about her voice. It's like, a di- like, okay, this is such a crazy comparison, but, you know, I wouldn't say Dylan's a great singer, but Bob Dylan's a great singer. And the reason he is is because every time you hear him, you know it's him. And I think Madonna's got the same thing. But anyway, this is not the Madame X podcast. This is <laughs> Peach and Black. Uh, so I'll move, move right along before I hand it over to player. But just to finish up on this comparison to Martika's released version, I think that the... There are elements in Martika's final release that, that better Prince's. So mm. the propulsive electro-violin uh, aspect, those electro-violin stabs in Martika's version, they really add to it, and I like them more. Her vocal harmony performance is also great. I mean, Prince is a great harmonizer, but she does she holds her own there. And the other thing is, and some people don't like this next part that I'm about to mention, but I think it's beautiful how this song fades out, the Martika version, that is, it fades out. It's as if it's uh, finished, mm. and then it fades back in. And there's just this short little instrumental flourish, just as a as a final conclusion. Mm. It sounds like something Claire Fisher would have orchestrated if he was tasked with orchestrating for some sort of synth orchestra. And, and I really like that element. I feel like it finishes on the love they will be done. But no, we're not done yet. There's more. Mm. Uh, there's a little bit more more to get. So yeah, I think both versions are great. But going back to Prince's, because this is what this show's about, it is a beautiful performance, only eclipsed by his live 
versions, um, aka piano and a mic uh, player. Okay. Here we go. What are we here for? Free pizza? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This, we have to thank Hove himself because this song was insisted by Jay-Z and big thanks and shout out to Mr. Sean Carter for insisting that this is on here. Um, This, I think all of us have touched on this. He's performed this live on the 2012 Australian tour and the 2016 Piano Mike tour in Australia. So he seems to, or he seemed to like doing this song here in Australia um, because I think it charted the best here. Um, Mm. I'll get to that a bit later. I love this. It has that love, sexy, graffiti bridge vibe about it. Sojem mentioned this, that it has those wash synth pads that you hear on tracks like Positivity or even more so on the unreleased track Cross the Line and throughout the Graffiti Bridge movie whenever uh, Aura yeah. appears on screen. They kind of fade in and out of the mix. That's it's really nice. And that drum beat, which he used on one of us and some other live performances, he used that as a loop. And it's got that Cocteau Twins 50-50 clown synth bass groove underpinning it, which seems to be part yeah. inspiration. There's some great lyrics in this. Even when there's no peace outside my window, there's peace inside. I just like, yeah, like, (laughs) it's so cool. As Rob mentioned, it has that gospel feel about it, very uplifting. Um, You guys have mentioned about the vocal, and it's such a subdued vocal. And this was recorded December 1990 and January 91, which he was, um, January 91 was, I think, Rock in Rio, so maybe, like, Going out mm. on tour, maybe he was saving his voice. Uh, see, this is the thing. Is it a guide vocal? He's saving his voice and he just had to do what he needed to do? Or, you know, is this a kind of a directive? He's saying to Matika, you know, this is kind of a subdued song, and you know, to sing it this way, which she, she pretty much did it the same way as that. So, Well, I think that the verse, like the, um, the vocal on the verse is pretty subdued, but all the background chorus stuff, like he's putting, you know, he's, he's going yeah. through that stuff. Well, it's, mm. it's, it's a lot layered, that stuff. And it's interesting because when he does the song live, he really, he doesn't do the subdued thing. You know, he, he kind of larries it a bit, you know, love, like, like he gets right into it kind of thing. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just interesting. I think this version that's on originals is just a bit better than the bootleg that was circulating around, that was previously circulating. But it's not better sonically than Martika's version. So you can really pick that up on doing an A-B comparison between this one on originals and Martika's release version. Version. Virgin. <laughs> you still got thinking about Madonna. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I totally agree. Like, it sounds great on originals, but then you hear Martika's one and it sounds really good. Yeah. And yeah, it makes it does, you yeah. wonder, what's the source for this, for the originals? Like, I feel like this one, they're not getting it from the original, you know, the original tapes. I feel it like. does yeah, sound pretty good, like, uh, though. Like, it's not a shit. Oh, it does sound mix. good. Hmm. No, no, it, yeah. But I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I agree with Tojam. Maybe Martika's was more polished that Prince didn't have any involvement in it. Maybe this is the, like, highest version that he had it just sounds a bit, a, a bit crusty i don't know in comparison it's a little bit my yeah I mean, my it's, it's ul- not perfect but it's yeah it's pretty good yeah my ultimate version of this song would be having the sonic audio quality of the martika version mm. with prince doing it but having the lead line with the guitar that he did around 94 95 era that mm. would be the ultimate version mm. for me <laughs> But yeah, the Martika version, it reached top 10 in the US, but here in Australia, it went as high as number two and it charted for 16 weeks. So I think that's why I think here in Australia, it's sort of more well-known here and 
I think that's why he performed it every time. Well, most times he toured here, so it did get a lot of love. Um, it's interesting the day it came out, if you look in the title credits of each song, when you went to this song and opened it up, it was credited to, I was seeing if they were crediting Martika, but it was credited Jesse Johnson. So I think they messed up the Jungle Love credits or something mm. on title because um, she wasn't mentioned. So I don't know if they fixed that. but um, Yeah, yeah. When, when it first came out, like all the Sheila E tracks were credited to Sheila E. There was, mm. yeah, all the credits were weird. I don't know if they fixed it now, but yeah, they weren't right when they first put it up. And I don't know. When I hear that love, thy will be done beat, I just think, man, that screams Jesse Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Another song he didn't get credit for. Oh, man. It keeps happening to him. <laughs> Jesse Johnson Originals. There's an album on here. <laughs> so, yeah, all in all, this is a fantastic song. I, I really like this song. Again, it's for that love sexy vibe. And, yeah, I just love this song. I was like about a year ago I was in like a really sort of weird and dark place and just out of nowhere this sort of the, the Martika song came to me about exactly about a year ago when this was to when this was released and it just kind of resonates with me so I have, it has, holds a special place for me I really love this song. Well hearing what you just said I can imagine that again going back to that fateful night well not fateful it was a fateful night. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, oh, no, no, it actually was, yeah, for other reasons. But that magical night in, in Sydney must have meant even more to you. Yeah. And I presume mm. it probably would have been a surprise to hear that opening, that second show. Yeah. But the other good point or interesting point um, that you made, Player, was uh, that this song did really well in Australia, that when Martika's version came out and got a lot of airplay here. And I get the feeling, I don't know about you guys, but I get the feeling that Love They Will Be Done for whatever reason, it's almost like a cult classic for Australian audiences. Like even in the shows yeah. in 2012... Australian audience members reacted really, really well, really positively. Like they were familiar with the melody and the song. And yeah. I don't think it gets the same love in the US, which is ironic considering, mm. you know, it was recorded there. Uh, it was obviously released there and they've got so many more people from a population perspective. It's just, it's odd. I was just about to mm. mention that though. It's, it's about what sort of music we like. You know, America likes, you know, over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, it's, it's, there's a lot of R&B, there's country music, there's rap. Australia's just been mostly pop, really. Mm. Pop and rock. We're not that big on country. We're not that big on rap and R&B and anything else. That's the why all this, like, that's why like Manic Monday, yeah. all these pop songs did so well in Australia and not so well in other places. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, for, I mean, for whatever reason, it connected with audiences really strongly here. But then the other comment player you made around that, your ultimate originals... <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. remix version mm. with the yeah. 94, 95 MPG. I, that version exists, right? I'm of the understanding that... Well, there's I'm, I'll get versions with Sunny <laughs> T because it was done for Exodus album. But what I'd like to hear is Prince's vocal, Martika's sonic audio quality and Prince's guitar. The guitar solo. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Now you're okay. on the low line. Now, oh, now you're really... I think you're dreaming now. Yeah. We're going to make oh. our own bloody Frankenstein mixes. Let's go. Well, here's, here's another version. If no Prince guitar on it, but if there was like a Vanessa May doing the lead line on the violin or the kind of violin you hear on Hallucination Ooh. Rain doing oh, that lead line, yeah. that'd, that'd be, be awesome. Cool. That would yeah. be cool. Well, you know what you can do? You can contact Mary Shelley and see what she can do for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I have read the no the original novel, which is the only reason why I know the name. Anyway, <laughs> Captain, uh, you're laughing. 
Is this a song to laugh about or cry about? What are your thoughts on Ooh, this one? Okay. I've got a lot to say. Some of it's already been said, but I'm just going to smash through these notes because it'll take longer to stop and yep. see what has and hasn't been said. In Prince's own words, this is a love song, a love song to love. So there you go. Now, I don't say this a lot. I'll say a song is good or it's great or I like it or I like it a lot, but rarely do I say I love a song. And I've already said it wow. in part one, but wow, I this will is, say it what again. What is going on? <laughs> I love this song. What? Yes. Um, I always have. I loved Martika's version, you know, when it came out way before I even knew it was a Prince track. Where do you even start with this? First, let's just say the obvious thing. A lot of people, since this, is, this Prince version has come out, they find the reverb on the snare very annoying. And while That's I don't like love it. it, I think after hearing this track, like the Martika version also has the same... Not the same, similar reverb on the snare. It's a different sound, but it, it is, still yeah. has that reverb on the snare. And while I don't love it, I think I've heard it for so long, it'd be really weird if it wasn't there. I'm so used yeah. to it now. And look, there's a handful of Prince tracks over the years that you can point to. And this one is up the top of the list that just showcase a masterclass in backing vocals. And yep. at the same time, multi-tracking vocals, which he was the master. And this track, it's just a masterpiece. I mean, just listen to it. Someone already mentioned the times, like 2.52 until 3.10. It's just perfection. It's yeah. not, it's even better than the perfection in We Gets Up, which lasts for about 20 seconds. <laughs> it's better than that. <laughs> if anybody remembers that album review. Um <laughs> There's literally not a single thing about this song that I do not like, except, you know, it could be longer or but yeah. it's pretty good as it is. But I love all the ethereal, spacey synth sounds. And if it wasn't for the drums and bass, like grounding this whole song, it'd just be like floating in the air. It's just, mm. those synths are just crazy. Uh, it's one of those grooves that could just go on. It can go on for as long as it wants to and it won't groove. sound yeah. like, like some grooves after a couple of minutes, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get the idea. But th this one, you could just feel it going on, you know, for an hour and you wouldn't get sick of it. Yeah. It's hypnotic. I wonder if there's a rehearsal in the vault. Maybe one day. Okay. Someone already <laughs> mentioned at 3.30, you've got those claps coming in and they just make it even more gospel. It's so good. And give it up to Martika. She did an amazing job like reproducing Prince's yeah. vocals. And except on Martika's version, you've got Rasan Patterson. He recreated yeah, sure. all those backing vocals. They're not even Prince on the Martika version. They were totally redone and they're amazing. Jeez, yeah. So so that guy as well. I think it's a guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, He's just got a new album out actually, last few weeks. Oh, there you go. And there's also a Martika version of this which was remixed by Prince himself called Oh, um, yeah. It's just called Prince the Prince Mix. Mix. Yeah. And as soon as you hear it, you can tell. It's got that similar, if not the same, drum beat he used himself on a bunch of his own tracks. And it's Funky Drummer by Clyde Stubblefield. It's in Thunder. It's in Gangster Glam. Good Judy Girlfriend on uh, Carmen Electra's album. It's not as good as the original, but it's interesting to hear how he remixed her version mm. of his song. It's just cool. <laughs> yeah. And talking about samples, I think Player already said there's that Cocteau Twins track, 50 yep. 50 Clown. Go listen to the first five seconds of that track and you'll know exactly which party sampled. And uh, who just came out not that long ago saying that Prince really liked Cocteau Twins? Was it Wendy or Susanna or somebody? Uh, he mentioned it during Third Eye Girl phase as well. Oh, yeah, uh, Susanna, I think, mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, someone's just said it recently. 
that he really liked them. So it's no surprise that he sampled them. As I think Player said, he came back to this song late 1994, re-recorded it for the Exodus album, but with the MPG, but you got Sunny T on the vocals. And as much as I love the Martika version and this Prince Originals vocal version, the MPG version that Prince was playing through like 1995, it kills them all. It's like, it's pretty much the same tempo, but you've got Michael B just smashing it out on the drums, Sunny T on the bass, so already it's just gonna kill you. And then you've got Prince doing the vocals and killer guitar solo. How can yeah. you go wrong? I mean, it's totally different to this. It's almost a different song. It's exactly the same, but it's, it's totally different. It's just so good. Lyrics, <laughs> lyrics, what can you say? They are really good. They're co-written uh, between Prince and Martika. He got, like we said before, she had a book of notes and poems and stuff, and he took one of those and changed a few lyrics here and there, and there's your lyrics. And just to finish off, as great as this version is, like, like Player said, if the 95 version ever comes out with Prince on the vocals instead of Sunny oh. T and with the guitar solo, I will die happy. And <laughs> Mary Shelley remix. <laughs> this has already been said too, and it's just funny. Both 2012, 2016 Australian tours, he played this track. It did get to number two on the charts. So, yeah, and he played it both times, which is nice. And can't finish without Piano and Mike, 2016. Another great version. That's all I can say. I'll go and have a rest now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you, know you know what's funny about the 2016 Piano Mike version? That Saturday night or Saturday during the day, someone said to him on Twitter that they were doing a Prince special and there was a Prince special that Saturday morning. And in that ah, special, I remember this. There was, there was a love that will oh, be done. Oh, that's and really nice. And I then he, I, think, I think he retweeted saying like, tune into Rage or something. So he, mm. like, he mentioned he was watching it or, or, or something yeah, he, like I, that. Yeah. And then that night he performed it. So I don't know if he, like, looked at that and gone, oh, I'm putting that in the set tonight or, or what, or if he always intended to do that. But it was just interesting it was on that morning and then he performed it that night. So mm. Calm the farm. All right. What, what an epic Ooh. song. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think I'd rather have it on here than not. 100%, you know, even in the in the context mm. of it's not technically one of the, you know, 80s classics. Yeah. I'm happy it's on here. I'm happy it's on here. Maybe not the best place for it from a sequencing perspective, but I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said we've got to give it up for Jay-Z for insisting because it wasn't going to be considered. And it was on yeah. his insistence to have it on here. So thank yeah, you, it's Mr. Beyonce. <laughs> Mr. B. I haven't heard anyone actually refer to him in that way. That's hilarious. Mr. Knowles. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Knowles. Mr. Knowles Carter. So Thank you, Mr. Knowles. With, uh, okay, with all that said, and before we go to the next song, I just want to make a group, and I think Player is probably best qualified to comment on this, but Martika's album, I don't know if it's the first one she came out with late 80s or if it's the 91 album she released, but Toy Soldiers, what's that? Toy Soldiers is the first is on, one. That okay. was on a and, first album, yeah. And that is a song that I think Eminem sampled and has been sampled by a number of hip-hop artists, right? Correct. See, <laughs> the thing is, is that first album, and when Martika came out, she was kind of like, I don't know, like when I was a kid, we looked at her kind of like as an Ariana Grande. It was just kind of like a bit teeny. I think, like, I think she started on Sesame Street or something, and then she had this... 
you know, she had that cover of I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet and That's Toy right. Soldiers. Mm-hmm. And it was a, just a bit teeny poppy. And then after the next album, she comes out with this and it's like, you know, she, she was taken more seriously and more as a you know, an artist, so... And then she follows that up with Martika's Kitchen, but that's a great song, but anyway... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, it was just surprising when it when it came out because... Work that you know, fat. a lot of... Yeah, she just... Like, when she came out, it was the same time as New Kids on the Block and all that, and she was mm-hmm. kind of lumped in with those kind of guys, that sort of sound, and... Yeah, 89, 90, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah that's, that's the one, but... I, the reason I brought up Toy Soldiers and Eminem and all that kind of stuff is I think she's been, I'm pretty certain that she's been sampled uh, numerous times and, you know, she hasn't really got that much material out there. So mm. that's kind of interesting what what hip-hop producers slash artists find, you know, interesting slash attractive in her work. And obviously Jay-Z is one of them. But knowing Jay-Z's connection with uh, Mr. Marshall Mathers, I'm not surprised. I mean, he'd be aware of that Toy Soldiers sample. He'd be aware of Martika, therefore he'd be aware of this track, right? So from that perspective, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. There we go. Or Bit maybe he just forever. saw it on MTV one day and thought, oh, that's a cool song. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, Jay, you're invited to come on the Peach and Black show anytime. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's just say that Lovely will be done by Martika, <laughs> number one in Australia. Only for a week, but still, that's, that's decent. You can yeah. bank that. Okay, next track, number 13. Is that a lucky number? We're about to find out. Dear mm. Michelangelo. Take it away. Play it. Okay, here we go. Another Sheila E song on this album. Another one. Yeah. And again, um, this is another track that has that flanger effect on the Lindrum, which is really nice. The turn and clarity of the guitar on this is epic. The sound mm. quality on this, I mean, Captain mentioned this before about songs like Pushing the Faders All Up. Everything's really clear and nice on this. I love the way he highlights the guitar in this song, but also whilst he's singing the verses, it's, it's, while he's singing the verses, it's growling underneath the guitar, underneath his vocal. It's really nice. Um, the guitar solo that comes in at 224 is very similar in progression or is reminiscent of the one in Scandalous Sex Suite, the 12-inch. Very, very Ooh. similar. With Eddie M on that sax, it has that Temptation vibe about it. I don't mean the group The Temptations. I mean the song Temptation <laughs> on Around the World in a Day. It's interesting how on the Sheila E version of this song, there's a fade in. So it starts with those ethereal keyboards and it fades in. And then at the end of the track, there's an abrupt end that goes into A Love Bazaar. And on this version, it's the other way around. It's an abrupt start with the fade out. So... It's kind of topsy-turvy. Um, it has that live sound about it, which makes sense because this is recorded in Atlanta on the Purple Rain tour. The lyrics are a bit wishy-washy. It's, I'm not entirely sure as to what he wants to convey in the song, but it's enjoyable to listen to. And I think I like this a little bit better than the Sheila E version. It just has that bit more energy and it's a bit rawer vibe to it than the one that ended up on Sheila E's album. So, yeah, I just, I like it for its energy and really the guitar and the lindrum. All right, awesome. And this is Captain, folks. What are your thoughts on this track? I know I said I thought Makeup might be the most skippable track, but um, it, it is, but this is second. This is second, <laughs> what? for sure. This is definitely the weakest on this second half of the album, that's for sure. What? I don't know what it's about. I don't know what it is about this song. 
I mean, it's similar in some ways to Glamorous Life and even Holy Rock, but for whatever reason, this one just doesn't do it for me. I mean, nothing really happens. After a little guitar solo, you get this weird change at 250 and these discordant vocals, which sounds very, um, Purple Rain era, like computer blue hallway speech version or something, but don't die, don't die without love. It's just, oh, what is this? Now, uh, wow, this is from the guy who fell in love with Love Thy Will Be Done, by the way, just to remind folks. Look, I'm not a big fan of Michelangelo, okay? Get over it. Okay, fine. What about Donatello? Hey, original Ninja Turtles, the best. Not all this Splinter? new rubbish. Forget them. the what movie never Splinter? happened. Just the original 80s cartoon. That's it. Now, okay. player mentioned this, and I've read this a few times, that the guitar solo in this was sampled and put in the scandalous sex suite, the rapture section. I listened to this and that several times each, and while the tone, the style of playing is very similar, I cannot hear similar. one single phrase that is exactly the same. It's not sampled, yeah. is my yeah, official conclusion. It's, it's very similar, similar yeah. but it's not the same. If someone wants to point me to the timings of two exact pieces, <laughs> let me know, but I can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a decent attempt at a pop track, but it just it doesn't make the mark for me. I mean, it's sort of interesting, but you know, it's another Sheila E track, which as I mentioned, I've never really listened to either of her, the first two albums more than a couple times, so I just never got into them. The end. Wow. Okay. <sighs> Deep breath from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go with my thoughts. Here we go. Electric in a course. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that, but I'm <laughs> quite surprised by uh, some of your comments there. But the beat, I should say that beat, because it's a bloody good beat, and guitar intro is bloody awesome. And even though it is very different from the drum and guitar intro to a song like When Doves Cry, there's, to me, there's something strangely similar about those two openings. And I have to admit that I totally forgot about this song. Like Captain said, he hasn't listened to those two Sheila albums much. I hate to admit this, and I'm almost embarrassed to say, of course I've heard them a number of times, but I haven't given them, given them the amount of love they clearly deserve. After hearing this, it's really having me revisit Sheila's work, especially that mid-80s stuff, because it is fantastic. But Well, we haven't reviewed either of those, so mm. we'll get to that sooner or later, and I'll get to listen to these albums 50 times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, And then maybe bit, I might like this song a bit better. Maybe. Maybe you need to hear it more. Mm. I just totally forgot about this track, and it's such a cool, unique, whimsical dreamy song maybe it'll be toe jam's dream song i don't know but it's a dreamy track about what is it about it's about fantasy it's about passion desire all those things and when you listen to prince's vocal harmony during the chorus especially there's this really weird trippy chord change when he sings the line imagine a life without love and it kind of just it's kind of a little bit off something's not quite right there and i think don't, there don't. is a link yeah yeah that's right there is a link between that that part of the song and that computer blue hallway. Yeah, speech it's very version. similar this, sound and like theme. Yeah, and it's sad. It, like the undertone to this track is really like it's skating. Whatever this song's about, it, it, the whole thing feels like it's kind of skating on thin ice to a degree. Like Toe Jam just, will know what this is. It's something to do with the chords. There's some. There's something going on there. Yeah, there, there is. There is something going on. And then you add the lyrics on top of that, and it's like this song is about to fall apart as it's as it's coming along but it doesn't it sticks together but it's just it's a really intense listen if you get into it it can be a very intense 
experience. I will say that that follow-up guitar solo after he sings that line, Imagine a Life Without Love, that is such an America-esque, and by America, I mean America the track. It so reminds me of America, the extended version. The tone mm. of the guitar is similar. It's just so, uh, it's kind of bright, trebly, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It's a very trebly guitar, very raw. It's just cool to listen to. But this is a head-busting track to hear on headphones, especially. It's really a trip. This is not music, as they say. It's a trip. And I, look, speaking of lyrics, again, I love the line, and this might be one of my favorite lines in a Prince song, even though it's imbued with fear and melancholia, save me from death's invitation. Just It's just a few words, but it really says a lot. And, um, you know, it's kind of, he sings it kind of as a throwaway in a way. Like he's very, again, whimsical, kind of like he doesn't mean it, but... I think there's something something really deep in those words. Musically speaking, the part at three minutes, 44 seconds onwards, especially at the four minute mark with... Oh, when that horn comes in. Yeah, that horn kills it. I, I want to say it's like an atonal line. I don't know, maybe Turgeon can correct me, but it sounds weird. It's very quirky, but yet it's melodic. So that's unique. And it makes a really striking appearance in, in the track, like killer horn playing, absolutely killer horn playing. Such a critical contribution to Prince's music during this period of time, you know, family album and Sheila's albums and just even live. I mean, horn players, whether it's Eric or, or Eddie M or any, or even Atlanta who came a bit later, just killer players. Like those guys don't get anywhere near enough love uh, for mine. Hmm. What else can I tell you? That section with the horn, that's very, um, if someone mentioned it before, it's very temptation-esque. Yes. Yeah. You're just waiting for the yo silly man to come in. It's just, it's exactly the same like vibe. It's really interesting it is, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a bit disconcerting actually, but it works. Mm. It's, it's, it's cool. Uh, Sheila's version now, just as a bit of a comparison, Sheila's version of this song has a way cooler opening for me. I love it how it's just synths and vocals, introduces you nice and breezy, a bit lighter. The mix of Sheila's vocals with Prince's inner twirling or whatever you want to, however you want to refer to his his vocal embellishments. It works a lot better. Sheila's and Prince's vocal, I prefer than, than just having Prince's vocal. It's much more successful on the Sheila E rendition, I think. The issue with the Sheila E rendition, though, is that it's not a great mix. It's just, everything's buried, it's muddy. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's just bad 80s mastering, that's what I think. Maybe a poor digital transfer, who knows. But this mix, whoo, baby, it's, it's there. Like, it's not the greatest sounding song on this set. There are much better ones, but compared to the Sheila Ree version, this is brilliant. So overall, the combined vocal harmonies between all the separate voices, that's what I prefer in the Sheila Ree version, but um, they're just both great renditions, and, and, and this is a great track. I don't know. Captain, I can't believe it. I thought you were going to sing this is, this song's praises after oh, I heard your no. thoughts from Love They Will Be Done. I, I, but I, I, <laughs> I gave all my energy on Love They Will Be Done. I've got nothing left. <laughs> There's no, nothing left. He spent a cigarette and a shower is what he's after. So Let me, let me just say about that, <laughs> what I just said before about Temptation. Temptation was recorded December 84. Dear Michelangelo was early January 85. So they're literally weeks apart. So it's no surprise there's some very similar sounding things in there. And, yeah, and to your point, Captain, this even sounds to me like a revolution song at different points throughout. Like, this might as well be the revolution playing on this. I don't know. I think it's Sheila's Is band, it? but it could be the revolution. <laughs> Prince, all instruments except for the bongos and Sheila and stuff. <laughs> Prince's playing. Not the saxophone, that's Eddie M. <laughs> 
Toe man. Toe man. Toe man with toe jams. Toe jam. Toe jam. I'm a bit worried because everyone keeps saying toe jam will say something about this. Toe jam will say something. I don't have a lot to say about this one. I'm not going to say it's the dream song. Anti-climax. Anti-climax. There's something about this song, on Sheila's version or this version, there's, I just feel it's there's something with it that I just can't get into it, even though there's, there's elements of, of it that I like, but there's something about it that I just can't get into it. And I think what it is is the... Exactly. The beat to me is just, there's too much happening in the beat, too much kick drum. And it's like, it sounds like this bouncing ball. And it's just like, that just goes through the whole song. Obviously, Sheila's version starts with the fadey intro, but, you know, once that beat comes in, it's just it's just relentless all the way through. And I just find there's too much kick drum going on and it just kind of takes away from what could be a less thick song. Also, I think with this song, it's a bit weird in the respect that it's kind of supposed to be like a pop song about like this fantasy thing about a girl who likes Michelangelo, which is kind of, you know, the idea of like the teenage girl who's in love with Prince the Artist kind of thing. And it's kind of taking it back to the whatever century Michelangelo was in. But then it just gets a bit weird with all the don't die without love and uh, invitation to (laughs) death and all this. And it's just, oh, hang on a second. It's, It's too much. It's too strong, this one. Some, I'll talk about some bits though. This I like the stabby horn line. Real great 80s classic hooky kind of thing. Mm. With that beat, you've got the snare slightly in the left and you've got that bouncing kick drum in the right and it's got some flange effect on it and it's really thick. In Sheila's version, I think they dropped the flange effect and the kick drum's more centred. So it's even still kind of thick, but it's, it's less spread out. Great guitar solo, as we've said. Um, I really like in the chorus when he hits the note dear, like dear, like that first note. On the right channel, he's just singing it straight, like just on the note. Dear Michelangelo. And the left speaker, he sort of, every time he does it, he sort of explores and does something else. Like dear Michelangelo. Sort of Mm. does something different every time. That's really cool hearing that. Yeah, Yeah, so they kind of clash. And one of them's just straight. One of them's kind of, you know, going all over the place and trying different notes and bending. That's kind of cool. But I also find the the chorus just gets a little bit annoying. It just happens too many times. Like in the chorus, you have that, dear Michelangelo, happens twice, you know, throughout that chorus section. And then that just part just happens too many times throughout the song. Eddie M's sax solo, kind of Coltrane light to my ears. I don't like the quote of the classical song that he does. That <laughs> I, don't, I just don't like that. It just sounds a bit corny. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a really interesting song. There is some interesting chords going on. I mean, it's primarily just one minor to four seven, but then it goes to, um, I think it's an E flat from memory, and then it goes to the E major at one point, and then it does some sort of weird harmonic minor stuff to kind of give it that tense kind of feeling when it's building yeah. up in the in the hallway speech part that you guys are talking about. Um, so, like, there's some interesting things going on, but I just, I'd find this song is too thick, too much going on, too heavy, despite some interesting elements. And I find that with both Prince's version and Sheila's version. So, yeah, I didn't think why I don't particularly like this song, but that could be it. There is just a lot going on. And then you've got all the minor chords and, yeah, it's just it just doesn't grab me somehow. I, I, I imagine right, this well, song would be better if it was stripped back, simpler. I don't know, maybe. Without all the drum, all those effects on the drums and stuff for yeah. a start. <laughs> all right, that was Dear Michelangelo. Now track number 14 is... Wouldn't you love to love me? Take it away, player. This track spans 43 years in different iterations from the time Prince recorded it on a boombox in 76 to when it was released now in 2019. So, and everything in between. 
and I guess in all the different iterations, I like this one the best. It has a nice groove to it. The released version from the associated artist was Taja. Is it Taja Seville? Seville, I think. Taja was it didn't really hit the charts here in in Australia. So, but she did the version of it, and it was also given to Michael Jackson for the Bad album. The Taja version it sounds a bit cold and soulless and overproduced. So to get this from Prince in this format is nice. Having said that, the audio quality. <laughs> this sounds really crunchy as compared to everything else on this album. It's really, really crunchy. There's quite a bit of reverb on his vocals, which makes him sound a bit distant. So, yeah, that, as nice as it is to have this on here, th- th- these are some of the things that just kind of, it doesn't, the consistency with the rest of the album, it just, it just kind of stands out. Um, I love the little turnaround in the verses. The That's really nice. Reminds me of that um, other song on his first album. Uh, the name escapes me, but it's the same thing. The twang in his guitar is really stellar. It underpins it and drives the groove. I easily see this sitting on something like Dirty Mind. Hmm. This version fits nicely on there. I would have loved to have seen what Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones would have done with this. And I wonder if there is a version of Michael doing this. Um, oh, could be. Did Michael have Did Michael have a crack at it, or was it a you know a matter of listening to what Prince submitted and then making a yes no call on it? I'd like to know if they just listen to it and go, no, I'm not doing that, or if he actually yeah. had an attempt at it. If they explored you can hear, it. You can hear Michael on the lead vocal in your mind, can't you? Like, I, I yeah. certainly can I, see how he would do it. Um, I can't really picture it. But having said that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, I was going to say, you know that song, um, Love's Never... F- What's that track that came out after his passing? Is it Love, uh, Love, yeah. Love Never Felt Never So Good, so good. Yeah, that yeah. that the his vocal on that song in that style in that key in some ways could work on this. That's that I think that's why I've got his his voice from that track in my mind. I'm kind of I'm laying it over the the groove of this, but maybe more so along the lines of the Taja Savelle version. You know, I don't know. Was, there's something there's something there. Did Michael Jackson sing on that song, or was that like a <laughs> Frankenstein? No, I I mean I I. I don't know for a fact, but it, it sounds very much like MJ. And if it isn't, I want the album of that lead singer. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that, guy, <laughs> that guy can sing. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, sing that might have sure. been one of those ones where they got the fake yeah. guy in to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so because my understanding is that they just, um, for that track that I'm talking about, Love's Never Felt So Good or whatever it is, it's uh, new, uh, what's it called, like a modern arrangement, but the vocals are from like 80, early 80s, like 81 or something. I'm sure our friend Casey Raid will tell us which Michael Jackson <laughs> tracks had the that the fake singer on there. He'll know that. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners. A lot of listeners are Prince fans that listen to our show as well. So I'm sure we'll we'll hear about it online. But yeah, it's I like this song. It's it's interesting, and it, yeah, I guess it's better to have it than not have it. But just in terms of the audio quality and the reverb on the vocals, it's just a bit, you know. Anyway, we'll take it, won't we? <laughs> Gonna have to. Uh, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this one? You weren't a big fan of Dear Michelangelo. What do you think about this? I like the song. I pretty much agree with Player. I mean, it, I think it's a good little funky, poppy song. And I said on mine, same thing as Player, Dirty Mind Sound, especially the drums, like the snare drum especially. You really just hear yeah. that. And, yeah. and the clean electric guitar just really, really has that twangy thing. It's really cool. It's really rocking. 
Um, I mean, the the song is basically like kind of three little sections where you've got that dun 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 dun. You got that. Then it goes into that kind of turnaround where it's got these kind of jazzy two five one chords, and then it goes into that sort of uh, Larry Graham thing, and then it finishes with dun 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 dun, and then it goes And so that's like the three parts of the arrangement, and then it just doesn't stop. It just goes for five minutes or so, just going round and round and round and round that loop. So. To me, the song is kind of done by three minutes and I kind of feel like it goes a few minutes too long. But what am I complaining about? This song wasn't originally released by Prince and, you know, he originally gave it to someone else probably with, with the intention of, you know, finish this song, which I sort of never finished anyway. So it's sort of hearing the unfinished version. So, yeah, I think I like his vocals. It, it's got, he's, it just sounds like Young Prince. It clearly is. It's got that energy to it and it's rocking. Uh, it just kind of, it's over by three minutes, I find and it just goes a bit too long. Taja Seville's version is, is quite different, as we were saying. It's got more of the Larry Graham bass to it, and it actually goes down a bit further. It goes... Dun, 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 dun. It goes down one instead of up. It goes G, F sharp, E, whereas the Prince's one goes G, F sharp, up to um, A. It's obviously more pop, and I think Larry... Um, that's Larry Graham's one. Taja Seville is... Uh, <laughs> her version's much... It's much better. I, I disagree with Clara. I think Taja's version's much... It's finished. You know, there's more stuff happening. Oh, yeah. It's got Eric Leeds on it. Yeah, it's more polished. It's more pop. The arrangement, there's there's more happening in the arrangement. There's a breakdown. There's more s- bits in the background that come and go, which sort of breaks up that sort of monotony of those three sections just going around and around. Um, and it's got a funny little video as well. Really classic 80s video where... Mm. There must be a million 80s videos that do this kind of thing where, you know, everyone's in their working attire doing the monotonous <laughs> stuff and the, the singer's like in the middle saying, hey, I'm, I'm unique, I'm doing something different. There's like a million songs that do that kind of... I'm walking you know, around walking in the, the street outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I like the song. It's rocking, it's funkin', just goes too long. That's my thoughts. Mm. Yeah, if... if- all the songs they fade out on this album, this one, <laughs> yeah, earlier, like the other ones, yeah. Uh, well, it's funny to hear the two of you so far say that because some of the uh, comments online in the, in the fan community are that the song doesn't get going until the second half, which is hilarious for me to <laughs> think about considering what you guys just said. Well, I find the second half is just kind of Prince experimenting. He's like, he's just going around this loop and he's like, okay, this time I'm going to try this vocal thing and then next time I'm going to try this mm. build up. And, but it doesn't really add to the song. It just kind of, it's him trying different things. Yeah. Well, I'll jump in into this before we hand over to Captain uh, to close out again. But th- this sounds like a 78, 79 era Prince song because it is, even though this performance of it is from the early 80s. It's a cool little jam, but I've never really been a fan of the track. I don't know why. Um, just never really warmed to it. It sounds too much like some of his very early ideas, songs that you would find on his debut album, For You. I think that would have fit on there, but it's weird because by the time he's he recorded this version in 81, 82, he was recording stuff that would end up on appearing on Controversy in 1999, and that material is just so far above this that, you know, I guess not all of them can be mega hits and it all can't be top shelf material. But for me, this is almost a forgettable jam, actually. Like, it's got some cool parts, don't get me wrong, but it's nothing more than a cool little jam that I will probably never listen to again. You know, if it comes on, I'm not going to turn it off, but I wouldn't seek this out. But let's get to the murky and mushy production on this. For me, this is unforgivable. 
this is not what you put out if you're going to continue Prince's legacy. It's just my view, like as uh, as we always say, we've all got opinions and that's fine. This is my opinion. It's just you don't do this. You know, I heard that they they being the people behind this release were aware that this wasn't the greatest audio quality, but they wanted to put it out there anyway to see what the fans think. I, I don't understand how that logic works. So you recognize that it's not great quality, but you're going to put it on this release to see how the fans respond. So in other words, are they saying if bands respond positively, we'll give you more subpar quality songs? If they respond negatively to the sound quality, then we won't do it again. Anyway, it, a bit of a bit of a rhetorical question I'm posing there. I don't expect an answer, but it's just it's a false logic to me. And if you're going to respect Prince's legacy, I'm less concerned. With, in some respects, I'm less concerned with exactly what's released as opposed to how it sounds from an audio quality perspective. And w- what I'm getting at here is like, you know, Prince didn't leave a will. We know that. Uh, we don't know exactly what he would or wouldn't have wanted. So everyone, every man and their dog have got an opinion. That's fine. Uh, we can argue about that till the cows come home. But one thing not any, not, not any person with a brain can argue about at all is whether or not Prince would want subpar audio quality on an official release. We all know he wouldn't. And I think there's no excuse for it. It just doesn't make sense. Like a lot of people have been harping on about other aspects of this album that has irked them. For me... This is one one of, if not the biggest problems I've got with it. And uh, I might as well just throw out this spoiler alert right now for anyone who's listening or anyone who's interested. When you finally hear the Rob S. Resequence version, you'll find this is, this not is on there. notably <laughs> missing. <laughs> so I resequenced wow. the song by, re- by removing it from it. I, I just, I don't need that. If I want to listen to something like this, Throw me a bootleg. Don't put it on. <laughs> yeah. a, don't be on an official release. I don't, this is definitely ex- the most bootleg sounding track on this release. Correct. I don't think it respects Prince's legacy in the way that it ought to. I don't want to go too hard because there's a part of me that's happy that I heard it. But in a way, that's just being a voyeur. You know, that's just saying, oh, I want to hear everything. I'm at the stage in my life where I'm not even sure I want to hear everything. I don't want to hear stuff that doesn't sound great. If it's muffled and it's badly mixed and poorly recorded. Anyway, rant over as far as that's concerned. But <laughs> the thing is, is there's so much in the vault that would be in such pristine quality. Correct. So it's unusual that they would reach for this one. Exactly. Because for the audio quality of all the other songs, aside from occasional clipping and dynamic range, of which there's not too much on here, I have no problem. But this, this just really, from an audio quality standpoint, ruins it for me. Yeah. Talking about MCs saying false logic like the only reason that i can see why this is on this album and michael howe has mentioned it in several interviews and again this makes no sense to me and probably to many other people but every time he mentions this song he says this is one of the songs that prince came back to like many times in his career that's why we've included it here it's like how is that a selling point for this track it doesn't make any sense what, what, and, and again, that just, yeah. that just means he wasn't happy with it and he kept coming back to it, but they're going to give us like a really early version of it. It's just a bizarre reason to go, that's why this song's on here, because it's one of his most recorded tracks. It's like, huh? Yeah, that, that logic what? doesn't make sense, but, uh, but let me be clear. There's lots of false logic coming out of people's <laughs> mouths about this release. It's really weird. It is weird, but just to be clear, as far as my portion of this, of this, of this review goes... I don't mind the track. Just because I'm a bi- not a big fan of the song per se doesn't mean I'd be upset that it's on here if the sound mm. quality was up to par. It's just the sound quality has got me going, really? Like, why? Why would you do this? So, mm. Especially the fact that it goes for five minutes as well. 
Yeah, it's like a bad quality song that takes almost six minutes to get off the ground and you could have probably fit, you know, two, three or four minute songs on here. That would have been a lot better. But anyway, it even distorts at times and it sounds like the tape has come crunching down, Captain Crunching Down or something. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like this, someone spilled some cereal on it and never wiped it off or something. Like the tape is just murky. <laughs> it is murky. The, uh, the two redeeming qualities though... Because there, there are redeeming qualities on the performance, not the sound quality, but actually what, what Prince is doing here. It's just his fun, a sense of fun with his vocal parts. Like his vocal harmonizing is cool. His rhythmic bass guitar parts are really cool. It's nice to hear him grooving. But dare I say it, just like a lot of you guys, I get bored by the three minute mark and I just like uh, snooze, you know, let me, let me f- fade this one out and go to the last track. But the other thing I have to say is I agree with Toe Jam's comments about the Taja Savelle version. It's so much better. Better rhythm. You know, although the bass parts are mixed way too low, uh, again, poor 80s mastering, the, her version, you know, it's got actual saxophone in it. It's got much better production values. It sounds much more convincing coming from a girl. Like a woman singing this is what I want to hear. I don't want to hear Prince singing this. I get all the, our peach and black <laughs> lady listeners and you're probably the opposite, but... Um, not a lady, so uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> my thoughts on that. And again, it was written with either Taja in mind or some female uh, singer, s- yeah, yeah, female vocalist, which which is fine. But again, like a song like "The Glamorous Life," because of the way it's worded in Prince's voice, still works for me. This one doesn't, not in his voice. So yeah, Taja Savelle version, actually a decent '80s pop song. It's way too bubblegum for me guessing that it's something that Captain would definitely listen to. Incredibly loud, again, just a bit of an educated (laughs) guess. And with that, I'm done. Take it away. Round out our review of the song, Wouldn't You Love to Love Me, Captain. Okay. I have to say, I'm really not sure why this track was included on this album. There's nothing particularly great about this song or this version. Like everyone said, the sound quality of this track alone brings down the entire album. Like, why not just put something else on here that sounded better and maintained the quality of this release? It's a mm. bizarre inclusion. Even just include, like, the 87 version, which probably sounds much better. But, it's yeah, it's strange. Regardless, out of the existing versions I've heard of this track, this is probably my favourite of them all. It's probably the most poppy, which is what MC said. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying this version or the Taja version? Oh, you were saying the Taja version's more poppy. I'm talking about, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking bubblegum pop. That's Taja Savelle oh. all the way. It's, and it's, and it's out of all the better for it. The Prince versions of this song that I've heard, oh, this okay. is the most, the, this is the version I like the most, mm-hmm. even though it sounds horrible. But the song, you know, 58 seconds in, classic Prince, weird Prince chord changes. And yeah, like everyone said, it really does sound like a late 70s Prince song, like from those like rebel sessions or something like that. It's just that the style of songwriting he was doing and this fits perfectly in with those group of songs from that time. But again, like Makeup is a three-second loop, this song isn't that much better. It's just that one bass line, doop, 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 just keeps going. doesn't even change between verse and chorus. It just goes through. Except for, and then you've got that weird little change and that's it. That's the song. It's not a great example of his songwriting. I don't know what this song is an example of, actually. Like, one of the points of this release was to showcase, look at all the different range, his diversity. This song doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't show anything interesting from 
you know, I don't even know how to say it. It just, this doesn't show anything. <laughs> like, I, I, I sort of get why makeup was included because it's that style of music and which most people wouldn't know that he ever did. But what does this song show? It's just, it's like, I, I have to use this at least once per album review. It's just a song. And... <laughs> And it's just and it's just under six minutes. Is. For the for the first time in a long time, I agree with with your just a song comment. Actually, and it's just under six <laughs> minutes of just a song. Like uh, I don't know, it's pretty unanimous amongst fans and even reviewers in like media outlets that this is the worst sound quality wise song on this release. And I think a lot of people would have preferred a different song in better quality. And we never would have known the difference because if we didn't know what was going to be on the album, they could have put any track. So it's just really strange that you would put, you know, 15 tracks and one of them sounds way worse than all the rest, but you still think, no, no, this is the one. This is the one we should put on there. That's the thing. Like it puts you, for me, it puts you off, doesn't it? Because everything else sounds so, generally speaking, so darn good. And then this comes along and you're like, what? Am I still listening to the same album or did something else come on? (laughs) Like if they want to put out, you know, years from now, a bunch of 1980 demos and they all sound like this, then that's fine. It'll fit on that album. Mm, It doesn't fit on this album. Not at all. And it's not an amazing song, so I don't see who was pushing for the inclusion of this track. Oh, but it's the song he came back to. It must be really great. He came back to it and re-recorded it so many times. It must be a great song, so let's include it. It's just the logic. I do not understand that. The end. (laughs) Wow. Well, we are reaching the end, ladies and gentlemen. We are up to track number 15. The song is called Nothing Compares to You. It's one of Prince's most iconic songs for so many reasons, some of which we're probably going to get into, and a live fan favourite. And now, such a sentimental song for all of us and for all Prince fans around the world. So I'm going to hand this over to Toe Jam to lead our review off. Your thoughts on this track and this version? This is a hard one to review in any length because the song is up there just associated with Prince so highly, especially in the last 10, 15 years when he really started, basically played the song every major concert for the last 20 years. I thought you were going to say post-April 2016 when this became like the song. Well, even and yeah, everyone was playing time, it, and they yeah. did a worldwide. Let's all play it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. and like yeah. you know, tours were called the Nothing Compares Tour and this sort of thing. Nothing compares to Prince. Yeah, pretty that much tour. from. Um, uh, I mean, I'm thinking musicology, but I'm thinking even before that. Like, really, the last twenty years, he really brought this song to his own again. It's such a great song. It's beautiful lyrics, beautiful songwriting all around. This, to me, is the definitive studio version. You know, before this version came out last year. We only ever had this, the family version, which is basically a remix of this version, and then adding the family stuff to it. Uh, you had Sinead O'Connor's number one hit, which is a great version in its own right. And then you had the live versions. that You had several live versions that are released. Probably most, the one most well-known is probably on the hits and B-sides. Um, With Rosie Gaines. Yeah. Uh, then you had the rave version. You know, several live versions were officially released. But this to me is the definitive studio version. Now, whether or not you guys are going, you're going to go into all the Frankenstein thing, to me this captures, you know, 1984, the Prince sound, and he's doing his one of his most iconic songs. And it's fascinating to me that 
this did not come out for so long. Like the family version, like I said, it's basically a remix and it's kind of weird and different and it pulls and pushes on the song a bit. Um, but this is the song. This is not. This is the original version of Nothing Compares to You, regardless of all the Frankenstein stuff you guys are going to get into. Like this brings Prince 1984 sound doing this ultra iconic song. It's just fascinating. What I love about the song is that it's simple chords and you've got that big kind of um, call and response thing, the response being... But if you listen to the bass throughout this song, the bass does some weird notes when it gets to that part and it really builds the tension. Like obviously the first few times it keeps it straight, but as it's building, it starts doing some weird notes. I think it, you know, the, that line normally starts on a, if it's in the key of B, I think from memory, then it would be the major third, but then it, it, go, it starts it on a G at one point. It does the line starting on like a minus six the hmm. way and you're like, what are you doing? But it, there's so much tension in that. It's, it's really good. So listen to that bass line every time it goes that dun, 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 dun. It just does some weird things. Really cool. Uh, Eric Leeds' solo is amazing. Uh, the same one from the family version, but that's great. And I'm, I'm really happy this came out. When this came out a year ago, yeah, I think this was a great release. And releasing that single supposedly inspired the idea of this album because that had some really good response from fans and the music listening community that the idea got into the estate's head, well, how about an album of this sort of stuff? And I think the Originals album, putting this at the <laughs> end of the Originals album makes a lot of sense because it's such an iconic song. It, it completes the album. And plus it's a song we already had for like a year now. Um, so it's not like it's stuck right at the beginning. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song, beautiful song, beautiful rendition. What more can I say? Oh, I think that's about it. <laughs> oh, uh, there's some beautiful faint strings throughout, just really nice. You guys might get into that more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So there, there's Toe Jam's thoughts. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It's cool to have this as a physical, you know, I mean, some people will stream and listen digitally, but if you picked up the CD or if you're waiting for your vinyl, it came out last year, it was a limited release single, but now it's finally on an album. So I think that is definitely a cool move. I might hand it over to Player now. What are your thoughts? To be honest, I skipped this track because to me... Well, in There's nothing my... to skip to. If you skip this track, <laughs> the album's over. Oh, no, <laughs> he's, he's got a resequence version. This is actually track four, so... <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. I only say that because in like my musical universe, I, I've heard this song so many times, I'm just... You know, mm. every time I hear it, I'm just a bit over it because it's just way, way too much played to me. When it comes on originals and I hear it and it starts with that tick-tocking clock sound, dun, 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 like that tempo is an issue for me. And as soon as I hear that, it's like, no, I've got to jump this one. That little tinkly, that little tinkly guitar part yeah. is very reminiscent of Empty Room. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, it yeah. does, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. I never heard that. Wow. Mm. The guitar is nice on this. I like that. And Eric Leeds' sax solo is another highlight. That baritone sax, it's really cool. I know that Living With Me Baby was some kind of hard. It's a significant lyric difference that jumps out, out straight away. I'm not into resequencing like our man Rob S and I'm not sure having this as the closeout for the album is the best thing or not. But Rob, where do you put this in your mix? Is it, is it up there? Oh, I'd have to have a look at it, but it remains on my resequenced version, but it is not the final track. No. Oh, is it track okay. three, Ballad? Ah, it's not track, track three. three. It's not track three, but it's somewhere in the mix. Oh, then I have yeah. no faith in your resequence. I've <laughs> we haven't heard it yet. <laughs> but see, I've I've re, just to, to another spoiler alert. My resequence is more chronological, and it also is more thematic. So I'm trying to build linkages between songs where I think they're they're logical. Um, and yeah, it's a decent closer, I think. But um, 
there are better closers, I think. And uh, yeah, back to play. Yeah, I mean, every time I hear this, I, I just think that this is on here for the money. Like Tojem said, it's an iconic song, but they know that if they put it on here, people are going to buy this album. So I think that's primarily why it's on here. I don't even think Prince himself thought that this is the definitive version. And the reason I say that is on hits and B-sides, he could have put this on that and he didn't. He put on the one with Mm, Rosie Gaines. The new version. And yeah. yeah, And like, if you look at other tracks like Pink Cashmere, that's like he reached back to 88 and pulled that out. He, He could have reached back and got this, but he, I don't know. I think what he put out himself as official product is in his mind the definitive version so I don't know well I was very careful in my words there I said definitive studio version Ah. (laughs) because I do I do think you know the live versions they are amazing whether it was with Rosie Gaines or with Shelby they always killed it Um, but I think yeah I was very careful in the way I worded that (laughs) well but that's the thing like if you're going to put something on the record you could put a live version or a studio version and he nominated to you know not to put this on there so the video I mean, I've talked about this with you guys as being Frankenstein, so it's not far of a stretch to assume that hasn't happened to the music. Mm. Not only for this track, but maybe the whole of this album. I'm just kind of putting it out there. But one other thing I need to mention is the cinematic mix that has come out in the Target stores in the US and Japan. That version seems closer to, they've made that closer to sound like the Sinead O'Connor version kind of starts out with just more acapella and it's got the strings mm. and then the music doesn't kick in until after that first chorus. So it is a different bit of a mix, almost a, a remix, but it, it seems... It's to, definitely 2019 it, it like remix. Yeah, it is. But it, it seems like they've used the Sinead O'Connor version as a template to shape it into something that sounds more akin to that. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know which one I'd prefer out of the two maybe i'm gonna say cinematic mix only for now because it's still fresh to my ears whereas everything else if nothing compares as i've heard a million times so on this particular day i think cinematic mix wins out but mm. that could change depending on how sick i get at this song <laughs> but um out of all the prince versions i like the one with rosie Gaines on hits and b-sides in the song in general, I think I'm going to say Sinead O'Connor's version. There's something, I don't know, there's something polarizing about that version, especially when you watch the video and it's just that single shot cut of like really tight of her face and then the tear runs down her cheek. And it's just, there's something <laughs> captivating about that. You know, that draws you in, you know, and it's something about that. And also to the simplicity in the music, it's more like Love Thy Will Be Done. There's not like a whole heap of stuff going on. It's just very sort of subdued and mellow. It's, it reminds me of that Love Thy Will Be Done kind of vibe. About it, so you know what's really cool about the Sinead version is in the chorus, mm. like Prince's versions always just went nothing compares, nothing compares to you. Whereas Sinead's oh, one no, goes, she goes nothing <laughs> compares, nothing comp. That's cool that part. Yeah, yeah, she jumps up. So yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to say, but maybe over to Captain. Aha, uh-huh. Captain, you want to close this off? Oh, sorry, uh, go next. I mean, yeah, I don't have that much to say. Like okay, go like ahead. Everyone, I don't know why for such a massive song. I mean, we have reviewed the family version of this song when we reviewed that album, so if you want to hear that, go and listen to that. And we complained about how it wasn't the original version. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got the original version. Well, right. well, well and we, we at least said we suspected at the time that we thought this was a remix of something. Yeah, and there was an original Prince vocal version, and here it is. And I'm pretty sure we briefly talked about 
the Prince version at some point, I think in a news episode, but um, it's not that different from the family version. It's There are differences, but they're not massive. It's, I don't know. Everyone's talking about the Sinead O'Connor version. differences. Yeah. I mean, everyone's talking about the Sinead O'Connor version. I mean, that version and that video were just, like, there's something about that video. It's, you just Mm, watch it. it. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. And, you know, as much as I might not like Sinead O'Connor, give it up for whoever put together that version of that song matched with that style of video. That's freaking amazing. Mm. I don't love it, but it's good. I cannot deny is, there's yeah. something about that that version and that video. But the Prince version, the issues with the version here are, like Player mentioned the cinematic mix, and the, the best thing about that is you can hear Claire Fisher's great orchestration much yeah. better. It's pretty quiet on the original version, when in fact strings were never put on Prince's vocal version. That's been added later on. But um, anyway... The cinematic version, you can hear those strings and they're really nice. They're really nice. Because you've got the Claire Fisher strings were added way after. Like Prince recorded his version. He sent it to the family. The family did all their vocals. And it wasn't until they had pretty much finished the track. Then it was sent off to Claire Fisher and Prince's vocals were long gone by then. So now that they've added those strings back in on this version, it's, um, you know, it's a choice. Let's say that it's somebody's choice. And on the cinematic it mix, it's possible, even more though. of a choice. Is it not possible that Somebody. Prince, for his, own, for his own archives, put the Claire Fisher strings on his version as well? And that's what we're hearing. Of course it's possible. Is that not Anything's possible? Anything's possible. But, you mm. know, once he'd done a song, he was done. He moved on and recorded another song the next day. He wasn't going to go back to a song he did, yeah. you know, three months ago and go, let me just get these strings and put them on my version. It just, it doesn't just make like sense. To know, like I, I'd like to know officially, did someone actually make the decision, well, we're going to put the strings on from the family version, whether that's a decision that's been made for the original yeah. album or whether they just, for whatever reason, they found it and it had strings on it because who knows, Prince says, well, put strings on my version too. Hopefully, who knows? we will be finding an answer to that in the future. So, hmm. yeah, that will be very interesting to know about some of the decisions that were made on many tracks on this album, including this one. And like MC and Player said, like the inclusion of the, this track on this album, it makes sense. It's a, it's a good closer. But I think apart from that, the main fact it's on here is the work was already done. They've already mixed this track. They've already paid people, engineers and everything to work on this track. The work was done, so why not include it on here instead of getting all the other tracks and multi-tracks and remixing a different song and spending more money on doing that? This is all about money. You know, every single track on here had to be worked on and a bunch of people were paid money to sit in a room and go through and make these songs <laughs> listenable. And we know this is all about return on in- investment. It's all about the money. And Nothing Compares was already completed. That was already paid for. So why not include it here? I don't know what else to say. Th- th- it's a good song. I like Prince's version. That's it. The end. Wow, what a All great right. end. What a great end <laughs> to, to this album. <laughs> well, I'll grab, that, I'll grab that baton of you because as you were Take saying... Take it up. Bring like, it back up. I've got to remember this. I've got to remember that. So when you say it's all about the money, I mean, Prince's career was all about the money. 
you could argue. He he made decisions that were very commercial. Oh, about oh, don't bring up Prince's financial decisions. <laughs> that were very, no, they were very, were very commercial. Out of money, don't mix. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, you know, he was a very savvy business person and he was also very savvy with how he released his music and getting paid. So, you know, I think this, this is in line with Prince's legacy of making really good artistic works and then making sure that it's also all about the money when it comes to releasing them because, you know, let's have our cake and eat it too. So I think the fact that the people behind this release are commercially savvy and focused, I think that's actually fine and makes perfect sense. I would but you, rather But you need this... a balance though. Yeah. You, know, but, you but... have to have people who have a clue about Prince and his work and his music and his history. It can't just sure. be like 90% about the money. Like what's going to sure. get us the most money? Sure. It has to be a better balance than I think there is right now. Okay. So for me, I don't think there's an imbalance from an art versus money mix on this album, but we'll get to that in the conclusion. But for this song, I think, I think it's great to have it on here because as you guys mentioned, it came out in 2018 in April and, you know, yes, it was released on a single vinyl release and you could stream it, this, that and the other, but now it's got a home, now it's got a place. And I think it fits perfectly on this album of originals because it is a Prince original and we should hear it and we should have it and now we do. So I think it's great. I think that generally speaking, a lot of these decisions have been artistic in nature. Uh, they're commercial in nature, but I think they're actually, I would actually go out on a limb and say that most of the material on here is more about adding to Prince's legacy. And this is an example of that because, you know, Toe Jam's a big fan of this original version, as am I. I don't know which version I prefer, though, as far as his, the family's, or uh, Sinead O'Connor's. You know, you guys have covered the Sinead O'Connor thing, but I'll throw my two cents worth. It's hard to argue against that being the definitive version. I'm like you guys. I don't know what it is. Like, we're all hardcore Prince fans, obviously. But there's something about her vocal performance, her delivery, the inflection in her voice, the pain in her voice. There's a, there's a soul that's tearing tearing apart. Um, like we talked that, about that, Prince's voice being emotive. Look at her. Yeah, that song got, that just takes it to oh, another level. That's crazy. Yeah, I would say I never the chills run down my spine and the hairs stand on the back of the neck so much more often and to such a more intense degree when I listen to Sinead sing this song that it's it's just crazy. And that's comparing her to Prince, who's an incredibly emotive and expressive vocalist as well. Oh, it's just even thinking about it. I think the video has a huge factor to play in that. Yeah, it's hard to think of that song without thinking Correct. of that video as well. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's so true. And I think that song has become transcendent. It's transcended itself. And it became a part of popular culture. It became such a big part of her career. It became a part of the mystery behind Prince and his legacy and his songwriting legacy as well. But, you know, there's something to the ability of an artist to take a piece of material and make it their own. And I don't think there's ever been a better case in mm. history. I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> I can't think of a single person that's taken a piece of Prince music and bettered him. I can't. I can't think of anyone mm. who's bettered Prince on his own song other than Sinead O'Connor, other than that version, and it's it's just magical. It, well, it, we it, haven't heard all the stuff that Widow Yankovic has recorded. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait so, for those. Uh, <laughs> so it's, there's still, it's still open, bro. 
Yeah, but but the other thing about Sinead, and I know this is turning into a, a Sinead O'Connor, you know, a glowing review for Sinead, <laughs> but she really deserves it because she does something. Her, it's, oh, man, it's the anguish. The anguish yeah, in her voice. Anguish, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's just remarkable. And the part that Toe Jam, you said that there's a part where she sings the line that Prince wrote and sang in his original version, but she takes it up an, an octave. Well, I don't know if it's an octave, but she, she goes up in pitch. Yeah. She adds that extra little vocal bit. That's her. That's, that's her injecting her personality, her quirkiness. <laughs> yeah, into this track. And it just it takes what was already incredible and it just takes it to another place. That's exactly it. Like Paul Peterson does like a really good version. Like it's solid, you know, he's right? really passionate. Yeah, yeah, it's passionate. And you hear Shelby J and she belts it out. So like everybody does it. But then when you hear Sinead, it's, it's a different angle. Like you said, it's the anguish. It's this kind of like the sadness in the song as well, that it just, it kind of tears you apart when you're watching it or you're, yeah. when you're listening to it. Yeah. It's funny when you said watching it again, there's that video reference, right? Yeah. It's so, it's so difficult to separate. Like I said, it's all one shot and it's so closely on her face. And then, like I said, the tear runs down her face and it's like, oh man. Like, yeah. It's a heartbreaker. It's an absolute, it. yeah. <laughs> it's a heartbreaker of a track. The only thing about this original Prince version is because we know it's a guide vocal and we've all heard the version he did with Rosie Gaines and the versions he did with Shelby J later on. It just makes me think, did he give his all in this original studio vocal performance? Because it, you know, well, it's pretty good. Like in the, f in the family review, I, like I said, I don't think he realized its full potential until after the Sinead O'Connor mm. version came out. Cause after that is when he started performing it. Yeah. I think if he'd, known at the time, you know, this is, this is something. Where he, well, first of all, he probably would have kept it for himself, but he would have done maybe more, put more into the vocal performance on his studio recording of it as well. So that's, yeah, because most of the other songs on this album, you're like, oh, you know, it just sounds like a guide vocal. He's not really given it very much. This song, he, he does sound pretty good, but I just think it could be even better. Like, imagine if he sang this original version like he sang the 92 version with Rosie. It'd just it'd be totally different again. I don't know. Yeah, I guess my, my take on Prince's thought of, you know, we've said this over the many years we've been doing this podcast, you can never get inside someone's head, let alone an artist as complex and intricate, who had a mind as intricate as Prince, but... I feel like this was too personal for him. Therefore, he gave it to someone else. He gave it to the family. And then, you know, Prince didn't give this song to Sinead. It was his song and she ended up covering it. And, you know, we've spoken, I think, enough about Sinead. But that's my, my best educated guess is that this song was too close. Maybe it was something a little bit too personal, too private, maybe even too painful. At the very least, I think it's a side of himself that he didn't want to directly disclose to the public. And I think there are other examples in his discography where he's done that as well. But this is still, I mean, his original, because I've spent half an hour talking about Sinead O'Connor's version, and I don't think I've said two words about his. So I never noticed how the opening two-note melody, which does change, by the way, later on, sounds kind of like that music that plays in like a, a theme park, like a lunar park, like yeah, yeah. Carousel. I'm thinking Carousel when people ride the those carousels, horses on yeah. a carousel. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Just reminds me of that. Yeah. And it, yeah. and it's actually sad. It's very sad. That, that the and it's not just the track. notes that are playing, it's the sound of that keyboard as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it sounds it's a like sort of like organ sound. Yeah. <laughs> 
The keyboard is blue. It's, it's down low and blue. It's not computer blue. It's keyboard blue. Mm. Yeah, everything about this song is kind of imbued with a sense of longing and, and, and regret to some degree. But other than that, it's basically perfect. I mean, I think this is the original version and in many respects it is the definitive version even though i think Sinead o'connor's version is the most iconic and all these words they all sound similar but they have very different meanings so i think this is the original and definitive it's basically a perfect performance to me the rhythm parts in prince's original version are really dramatic they're quite striking then there's claire fisher strings in the background they just add a sense of atmosphere and and again melancholia the staccato guitar part at two minutes 20 seconds check that out it's just it's really cool and the clownish saddish background of oh 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 that that, it's incredible it's just so, it could be seen as comedic on the surface, maybe, or a kind of flippant and, again, whimsical. But it's really, um, you know, it's Prince using that effect, even though he's got a background vocals helping him, or backup vocals helping, helping him as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a sadness. Eric's, uh, Eric Lee's sax note at four minutes, one seconds. Man, is that brilliant. I mean, his sense of timing, the way it just opens up that song. It's like... It opens up the track and it kind of uh, finalizes yeah. finalizes it all at the same time, simultaneously. It's so striking, so provocative, uh, sax part. And he just plays one note. And obviously mm. it's continued with a succession of other notes, but it's just... And then he follows on. It's really, really cool. The song reaches its crescendo right there. So shout out to Eric Leeds. I have a question though. Why does the drum sound change from two minutes, 34 seconds to three minutes, 15 seconds ish. There's some, I don't know if you guys pick this up. The drums just sound weird. I don't know if it's an effect. I don't know if it's something weird or funky going on. Maybe it's just me and my weird ears, but I hear something strange in the drums from about 2.30 to 3.15. As for the version by the family, look, it's solid. It's good. I like the short string part that introduces the song before any vocals are sung. That's a really cool arrangement. St. Paul's vocals are good. He, he is a solid singer. But I think to your point, player, or maybe even captain, when you guys sp- speak about St. Paul singing this both in studio and live and then Shelby Johnson doing her version and Rosie Gaines and all those people putting their vocals on there, they're all great, but they don't compare to Prince and they don't compare to Sinead, pardon the pun, because I think both Prince and Sinead show pain Whereas the other three vocalists, they perform it almost theatrically. They perform it's it with a lot of soul. It's more of like a soul. a soul, yeah. Yeah, they perform yeah. with a lot of soul. And it's, it's, and it's almost like, thing. yeah, exactly. They're, they're really, they're trying to connect and they're trying to show some, some intensity and some power on stage and, and deliver the song. But for whatever reason, Prince, ironically, and Sinead does this as well, by just tempering the, their intensity back just a little bit, they actually come across more powerful and more intense than other people that perform this, if you know what I'm getting at. It's like less is more. Yeah. It seems like some people are treating this song as, oh, look at me and my great <laughs> vocal performance, instead of actually just singing the song and trying to give this song what it needs. But no, it's just look at me, look at me and my vocals. That's look it. at me and my vocal range. Yeah. yeah. range. Yeah. It's a vocal performance track for many people, instead of just sing the song like it should be. 
Yeah. With some sort of emotion. But see, that's the difference between some little kid learns the piano from when they're like four years old and they can play like this great, you know, Beethoven's song or whatever, symphony, but there is zero emotion there. It's just, I'm a robot, I can play the song. And that's the same mm. as doing a vocal performance. You can do a technically perfect vocal performance mm. on a track, but there's no soul and there's no emotion. That's yeah. the big difference. Yeah. And again, we've spoken about, well, all of us have pretty much spoken about Sinead, but, you know, Toja mentioned how she changes her, the, the pitch of, of a part of her lyrical delivery. But there's that, there's another part, again, coming back to Sinead, uh, there's a part where she sings, every time she sings the words to you. She, oh, yeah. It's, it's really nasally. Breaks. It's raspy. It's right, like to you. It's just kind of like, oh, she's like, she's in anguish and she delivers that and you feel it's sincere. Again, something that I think will will never cease to be iconic. But again, back to Prince's original version. No, no, no. On Sinead's version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just last thing I'll say on it. One of the biggest differences that I prefer in Sinead O'Connor's version is that it loses the dopey sort of circusy sound of do, 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 do. It loses that, but then she does another one and it's like a background vocal and it goes like, do, 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 do. And it's way better, I think. But maybe that's yeah, just I mean, me. we could spend an entire episode trying to work out why Prince utilized that effect. All I'll say is I, for whatever reason, have this sneaking suspicion that he wanted to make it a little bit, not clownish, but a little bit more theatrical or, pardon the pun here, cinematic or something along those lines because it means that you can kind of get away more with a performance rather than, again, sharing 100% of your soul with the audience. You know, I, I, there's something about what he's done. He's, you know, you compare this Prince original version to not only Sinead's but even his live performances, like this is a busy mix, right? There's a lot of different elements here. And I kind of feel like maybe he threw everything and the kitchen sink in his original version and in his original mix because it covers up some of that. What's the word I'm looking for? When you... Vulnerability. Yep. <laughs> you came in at the perfect time there. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. It, yeah. It's like I am it's, singing. It's masking it. Yes, yeah. that's it. It masks an aspect of that vulnerability. Whereas again... Gosh, welcome to the Sinead O'Connor podcast. Sinead O'Connor's version, both audio and visual, it wears its vulnerability on its sleeve. It's, it, it's just completely different. My final thoughts on Prince's original version of his track, of this track, is that what I was going to say is uh, I didn't notice before that Prince's version compared to St. Paul's version, the vocals, so even though Prince provides a guide vocal for St. Paul, St. Paul's vocals don't go as low, like he doesn't sing the lowest notes, whereas Prince in this version on this album does sing some of the lower notes, which is cool to hear. But what I do enjoy about the family's arrangement is that it's mainly orchestration and vocals. So because of that, it's got this absolutely beautiful spaced out feel and it lingers more rather than the core, the kind of busier, headier mix that Prince put together here on this originals release. And because the family version is more sparse, Eric's solo is actually even more impactful, I feel, on, on that, on the family album, because it's more prominent, has a bigger melodic magic to, to deliver, and it does that. Uh, although, how can you choose between, you know, which version you, you prefer as far as Eric's playing? It's the same solo, but it, it just works great in every context. So it's hard to say which version I Isn't that I truly interesting, prefer. though, that yeah. every version that he did of this song 
no matter if it was this version or the family version or, you know, the 93 version he did or with Shelby, there was always, what's the common thing every time? Horn solo, every single time. Every it was every version, every year almost, he played yeah. it. Yeah. Almost, Almost, yeah. Like 2012, he didn't have... I can't remember horns he being on... No, he did the Morris Hayes organ solo. There you go. Ah. Yeah. Okay, almost every version. <laughs> almost. Horn solo. No He's, horn section. It, this, yeah. it was meant to be a horn on this track. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard to say which version I prefer on any given day. It really depends on my mood. Sometimes I like the more ethereal family version. Others, again, we've talked about Sinead, just kills me every time. But... Uh, for today, especially because we're reviewing this album and I've been listening to Prince's original, original, original version, that's the one I prefer today. So, uh, you know, it closes out the album. It's sentimental. This is one of his greatest ever songs. I, I, the other, it's probably really? something I should have said up front, but I think really? this is one of his greatest tracks. Yeah, look, from the melody to the arrangement, to the lyricism, to what it means, to the impact it's had on popular culture, to the number of times it's been covered, to the fact Ooh. that it became a classic in his concert repertoire, all of it combined is remarkable to me. It's just, it's one of his great, great songs. And it's great. It's fantastic to finally hear wow. his, his original mix. Objectively, I would sort of agree with that. But my opinion, this isn't even in his top 100 songs. Ah, I get think. out of here. But, you know, like you just said, We're get big chicken here. Security. Like you said, <laughs> time, including time, time the, in the, pool. the impact on culture and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. But my personal opinion, it's not that great. It's fine. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. No, no. I, look, I can just say I could pick 100 tracks, which I like more than this. Prince tracks. Easily. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, and that brings us to the end of our track-by-track track analysis of Prince Originals. So uh, what else can we do? It's been a long way. It ain't over. <laughs> it ain't over. We've got survey results. Oh, what you've all been waiting for. Here it is. You voted. I just want to say one thing. Right now, player is the only one who knows these results. Us other three <laughs> don't have a clue what he's going to say. So get ready for us. Lots of what the hell and oh my God, that's probably going to happen. Possibly. Correct. Although we don't know what we're about to hear. We have no idea. Okay. So this survey, this famous global survey that Peach and Black Podcast sent out not too long ago and uh, has been responded to with a lot of fervor and a lot of energy and excitement. And we have to say that this survey, these results, and I've actually done some some research as to what is, you know, what, what a good sample size is. What's a healthy sample size? What makes survey results directionally accurate? And without revealing the exact numbers, we have had a huge survey response. Let me just put that out yeah. there. And <laughs> yeah, and so it's just going to be so exciting for us to now hear and for you guys to hear this, because as Captain said, play is the only one that, that knows what he's about to tell us all and do the big reveal. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to make that point because I did some digging and, and wanted to find out, you know, did, what does this survey mean? Does, is this even, is it important? Like, does it tell us anything? Well, of course it with is. The numbers, with the numbers, <laughs> with the numbers, yeah, but the, the big point from my, from my side of the fence is the numbers that we received mean that this is, I mean, you can count on this if you're wondering how the uh, hardcore Prince fan community feels about this release and also how Peach and Black podcast listeners feel about this release and other things. So with that, take it away, player. Okay, thank you, Rob S. I've just got to thank the people that um, 
that participated in this. A lot of you are Pigeon Black listeners. There was a whole heap of people that have never heard our show that participated in this, and we'd like to thank them as well. And it was very interesting. I'll go through the tracks from 15 down to 1. It's basically split into three sections, the bottom five, the middle five, and the top five. So that's really interesting. And another interesting factor is there was a whole heap of people that voted when the title release dropped. And then there was a directional shift a little bit once the physical release dropped. So Uh in the results. So it is quite interesting as to how it panned out. And when I go through the results, I'll note those changes yeah because all 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 that you said is there was a big upset there were a couple of big changes so that'll be interesting real quick question from me so you're just going to go count down from 15 to 1 right correct okay so let's hit the bottom five so starting at number 15 does anyone want to have a crack at it so this is the song that's been rated the lowest by the community correct i have no idea i never know what's going to happen in these things I'll have a crack. I mean, I think it can't be anything other than You're My Love. Oh, no, 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 no. If I was going to say anything, be. I'd say Wouldn't You Love to Love Me just for the awful quality. Yeah, I was thinking that, but I'm thinking You're My Love. It's got to be You're My Love. So, nah. Jim, do you want to have a... I'm split between those two as well. I think it'll be Wouldn't You Love to Love Me. I think it'll be that one. Oh, okay. Well, in fact, Rob S wins the um, steak hmm. meat tray <laughs> for bingo. <laughs> Your the Kenny Rogers chicken tray. The Ken- Seriously? <laughs> Kenny Rogers chicken. Yep, is the least liked song. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Kenny was number 15. Number 14, Dear Michelangelo. Yes, that's correct. Mm. What? Yep. I know, right? I, I thought that would rate <gasps> oh, a lot higher. Nah, but nah that's about right. Last. That's about right. <laughs> that's surprising. I'm right. People agree with me. Track 13, Makeup. Okay, Makeup, I can take that. Makeup number 13. Yeah, I can, I can live with that. Yep. Number 12 was Wouldn't You Love to Love Me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Very good. And rounding out the bottom five at number 11 is 100 miles per hour. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's actually surprising. That is very surprising. Yeah. I can't, yeah. well, I don't know. I can't think of much that's, I would say, is worse than that one. So. I, would take, I would take 100 miles per hour over gigolos. Exactly. I was just about to say no that. No way. Wow. Yeah. 100 right. miles an hour is so no funky way. and gigolos is just whatever. <laughs> so there's your bottom five. Wow, okay. okay. Can we get into the middle five now? Yo. All right, top ten. Middle five's, yeah, okay, yeah, this is it, top ten. And this is really interesting because at number ten, I'm shocked that this is so far down the line, but at number ten is Holly Rock. What? Oh. What? Oh, wow. I was thinking that's got to be one or two. Uh, sorry. Yes. Sorry, Prince yeah. community. You are wrong. Oh, wow. I was thinking, well, where the hell is Gigolos? I still haven't heard Gigolos. <laughs> well, hang on. Hang on. We're getting there. So number 10 is Holly Rock. Don't ask me why, but Insane. that's where it ended up. Who the hell listens to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you people? Who are you people? <laughs> oh, my. Number nine is really fascinating. Number nine is Manic Monday. And I say that's fascinating is because the what? people, the estate or Warner Brothers or Total or whoever have decided this is the lead single. They rate this as next to in popularity, I guess, to nothing compares to you. Hmm. And yet it's rated wow. way down at number nine. It's the bottom. Ninth, it's in the bottom half. Track, so wow! I Jeez. thought that was really interesting. I thought that would have been up there, even though it's not my personal favorite. That's fairly low down, so that gives you an indication. L- let me just add one thing: if the estate <laughs> had a clue what they were doing, they would have done this survey 
and figured out That's what correct. fans like the most and chosen singles based on that. But we know that they do That's not give a crap about what we, we think. <laughs> exactly. Let's wait till we hear the end results first get... before we make it. <laughs> I, I still can't get over Manic Monday is liked less than Gigolos Get Lonely too. Mm. Well, wow. Let's let's finish. Keep it going. Up. Let's finish it up. So number eight is Sex Shooter. Eh, number okay. seven. Yeah. It's about halfway. Fair enough. Is Jungle Love. What? Yeah. Number seven is Jungle <gasps> Love. Yeah. yeah, that's about in the middle. There's nothing great about that. Yeah, yeah but still, Gigolos. You. Oh, yeah, yeah we still have some good Gigolos. <laughs> you need to, you guys need to listen to that song more. I like the people who voted for this. I feel our listeners have been redeemed. Number six is an upset. This is one of the upsets, number six, because number six was originally up until the physical release in the top five. And then when the physical release came out, it dropped to number in, in you know, out of the top five at number six, which is Noon Rendezvous. Ooh. What? So, okay. I could yeah. have sworn that was going to be in the top five, but you've just explained that it pretty much was until recently. Wow. Well, this is where it gets interesting. So... Now we're in the top five. The top five where it swapped positions with was Glamorous Life. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. Glamorous so Gigolos is the top four track. Get out of Yes. Get out of so it face. should well, be. So hang on. Here you, we go. So Glamorous yeah, Life sorry. is number five and Correct. Holy Rock is number ten. Correct. I don't know you people. I, uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah, you I don't know. at all. I don't know either. Wow. So number four, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Gigolos get lonely too. <laughs> Where it should be. Where it should be. I know my people. These, these are good people. Oh, my God. <laughs> look, look. going back to my review of the song, there's nothing wrong with the track. It's just that it is no different from the time version. So That's I'm what I'm really thinking. surprised. Yeah. It's, Maybe it's people so really like the time so version as well. Who knows? Wow. What's Number three. three more to go. Number three. Now, this is, um, this is the other upset. Number three is nothing compares to you. I'll tell you why it's the upset, because once we launched this survey, Nothing Compares to You rocked up to number one straight away and it stayed there for ages. Then there was a time where it tied for a long while with Love That Will Be Done. It actually tied as the number one spot hmm. for a long time. Then when the physical release came out, it's dropped down to number three. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, which leaves the last two. So number two is Baby, You're a Trip. Yeah. Wow. Two. Yeah, that should be in the top three for sure. Yeah. <sighs> which Jeez. leaves the number one track as Love Thy Will Be Done. Wow. There I'm you really go, Jay-Z. Good choice yeah, there, I'm huh? surprised that's so number one too, yeah. I'll just, <laughs> for you that are picking yourself up off the floor, I'll just go through those again. <laughs> 15 was You're My Love, 14, Dear Michelangelo, 13, Makeup, 12, Wouldn't You Love to Love Me? 11, 100 Miles Per Hour. The top 10 was Holly Rock. Wow. Number nine, Manic Monday. Eight, Sex Shooter. Seven, Jungle Love. Six, Noon Rendezvous. Top five, Glamorous Life. Four, Gigolos Get Lonely. <laughs> Two, three, Nothing Compares to You. Two, Baby You're a Trip. Number one, Love That Will Be Done. Wow. What's what's interesting about that is that Love Thy Will Be Done is a great song, as we all said, but it's not that different from Martika's version. It's based, you know, it's more or less Martika's version without Martika, more or less. So it's interesting that that's the number one. Like Gigolos, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just some of the other questions that we asked during the survey. I'll just quickly go through these. It was, are you satisfied with the curated choices and song selections of originals? 
50% were satisfied with 35% as very satisfied and 9% as neutral. Wow. Pretty um, good. That was that. Are you satisfied with the final mix audio quality on Prince's Originals? So again, it was listed as satisfied as the top response at 47.5% with very satisfied as 26.5%. Then there was neutral. And I also put in the um, inclusion in there depends on the individual song. The reason I put that in there was the Wouldn't You Love to Love Me, as you know, that one was really crunchy as compared to everything else. So that rated at 8.3% for Depends on Individual Song. The next two were very interesting. There was the question, do you want to see further volumes of releases of originals? I hope so they like say no. Part two or part three. <laughs> well, it is split by three votes. Wow. Three votes. So... 48.7 said, yes, but not as the next release. Give me unheard material. Yeah. And 48.1 said, yes, give me more. So people do want to hear more original stuff, but not as the next release, which really brings us down to the next question, which was from the following, what would you like to see as the next Prince release? And the top response for that was new Prince music. That smashed everything. Like new unheard Prince music went off the chart. Yeah. Um, which averaged at 9.57 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> so it's very high up there. That is followed by unreleased concert video footage. People want to see that. That is followed by unreleased live album. And then down the line is remastered deluxe re-releases of Prince's back catalogue. And then coming in at dead last is another original style compilation. Mm-hmm. So people so do yes, want to see another see it, originals. But yes, but not as the next releases. So mm-hmm. sometime down the track, maybe. but In about 25 people, years, yeah. Really, yeah, but what people really <laughs> want to see is or hear is unheard Prince music. Do you believe the content released of Prince's material post-2016 honours his core vision and legacy? This was a really interesting question Ooh. because... The top response was, it's okay, but the entertainment advisors should consult fans more on upcoming releases. That got 32.6% of the vote. That was the highest um, one. the other followed. options on that one? The next one down was fans think that currently it's too focused on the Purple Rain era yeah. and should be more diverse. So that was 26.8%. So a lot of fans would like to see more diverse works out of that Purple Rain 80s era be released. 23% said they're happy with whatever comes out from the estate. <laughs> and 12%, 12.5% said um, Prince would not approve of these releases. Yeah. And dead last as 5% would, um, pr- this is what Prince would have wanted. <laughs> originals, we asked people to rate originals a score out of 10. And the average score was 8.17, which is quite high. So mm. fans seem to be positive. Well, that. if people are only comparing like rating it based on the last album, Piano and a Microphone, yeah, sure. (laughs) This is way better. Exactly. And I won't go through the last question, which was do you listen to Peach and Black podcast? Because obviously everybody does and the ones that don't aren't listening to this show. So to all the people, if you're not listening, why aren't you listening? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the results. It's very fascinating to watch, um, especially those changes that happened when the title version came out and then when the physical version mm. came out. It was just that slight shift 
around of some of the songs. So, um, yeah, fascinating. That's how you guys saw it. Thank you for voting. And hopefully that gives you a bit more clarity. Maybe Rob S can sequence a version of the tracks from 15 to 1 in that order and see how <laughs> if it actually, if the album gets better as he's playing it. <laughs> yeah, start off, start off with track 15 and then go all the way to 1. There you go. Mm. Yep. So now that brings us to final thoughts on this originals album from the Peach and Black podcast. All right, so we've just finished up our survey results and I think all of us are kind of flabbergasted and shocked <laughs> and we've, a few of us have fallen off our virtual seats. Yeah, that was, that, that was intense. So speaking of intense, we've been talking about this original's release for quite some time and we're still <laughs> going. <laughs> There's still more. We haven't concluded yet, but why don't we try and sum up the last five hours with some sort of five hours? Jeez. And that's what's been edited now. That's edited. So. That's right. Yeah, this has been an absolutely mammoth session. We've been on our five-hour energy. And, uh, okay, with all that said, final thoughts, roundtable by the Peach and Black podcast. I'm going to hand it over to Tojem. All right, well, I won't take too long. I think this is a very solid release from the estate. It's really the first proper studio unreleased material kind of album and hopefully this is the first of several thousand to come. Hmm. I mentioned in one of the songs earlier that they did release the Purple Rain disc too but a lot of that stuff was, you know, obviously connected to the Purple Rain album in some way and a lot of them sounded like they were sourced from dodgy cassettes uh, so they weren't the greatest quality. Prior to that, I think we had the Forever release, which is basically just a greatest hits, you know, compilation album from the estate. Uh, we then had uh, Piano and a Microphone yeah. last year. We had uh, Anthology as well. The Anthology. Well, that was really just a compilation. It was like an online compilation. It wasn't, didn't get a physical release, if I recall correctly. Correct if I'm, if I'm wrong. That's correct. Yeah. All right. So then we had that Anthology compilation. Then we had Piano and a Mic 83, which again sounds to me like it was sourced from a cassette tape and it's obviously a rehearsal, and, and now we're finally getting this, which is maybe this kind of stuff we sort of expected all along from the estate, unreleased uh, versions, studio material, unreleased studio material, which is good. And I think this one's pretty solid. I mean, obviously, given that it's still relatively close to Prince's passing, they're going to focus on that Purple Rain era predominantly with songs like, you know, songs from The Time and songs from Apollonia, songs from Sheila E. You know, that's all connected to that Purple Rain era. So the audio quality is good, but some of them are better than others. And um, I find that a little bit concerning because even songs that we would say, well, they're, they're good, like maybe something like uh, Sex Shooter and Jungle Love, some of those ones, you know, they, they sound good, but to me they still don't sound as good as when, say, Prince himself would release something from the 80s on like the Crystal Ball Project or Splash, this kind of stuff that he would put out very seldomly but occasionally that yeah. would have this older material and it, it sounded heaps better. So I don't know if that's the case of, you know, the tapes deteriorating or whether it's the case that these two have been sourced from not like the original, original actual recording tape, whatever that was. Um, so I, I do have some concerns about the quality of the sound. But anyway, I mean, some of them are, are very good, so I'm not going to go too far down that line. There are some questions about some songs that aren't on here that potentially sh- could have or should have. Songs like Sugar Walls, mm. I think, would have been very interesting to hear if that exists. Uh, Screams of Passion, that kind of stuff. I know yes. that one exists. Some of the stuff that is perhaps a little bit more known. 
that actually had like were played on MTV and that kind of stuff back in the day. So that's kind of interesting. Whether that's planned for a, a secondary originals volume two, we don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. I want to talk about the the artwork that came with it, the cover art. I think it's very good. I like the white with the red and then you've just got prints there. It's very, it's quite a striking album cover, I think. And the image itself is like a Dirty Mind era. So that is again, sort of hinting at this pre, you know, this is kind of behind the scenes before Prince is famous, even though the songs kind of span the period between before and after his, you know, mega stardom, that idea of there's this guy behind all this stuff is kind of, a, I like that imagery. And I like the way when you open it up on the CD and presumably the vinyl as well when it comes out, that it's just color, you know, it's just all sort of white on the outside. You open it up and it's all color. I like that um, look about it. So I do like the cover art as well. That's good. Um, but overall, I think it's a fascinating insight into this particular aspect of Prince's career, the fact that he would give so much quality material away to other artists. And if that's what this album represents, I think it does a, f a very good job at doing that. So I think it's a solid release overall. All right, all right. Let me throw it off to Player. What are your final thoughts? Okay, I'm not going to be as scathing as I was on the piano and mic 83 final thoughts, <laughs> but this release, it's not perfect, but it's facing in the right direction. I'm not going to say a step in the right direction, but I'm going to say it's facing in the right direction. Mm. So that's how I kind of feel about it. It is good. It's a fascinating insight of how Prince would quote unquote demo, if you want to use that word or not these songs to other artists. I saw an interview recently with Lenny Kravitz talking about working with Michael Jackson and he wrote a song for Michael Jackson and they went into the studio and Michael Jackson specifically said to Lenny, he's like, if I don't sing it the way that it is, you, you stop me straight away. And apparently as soon as they started recording, he wasn't singing it right. And Lenny had the dilemma of like, do, do I stop like, him? Who, <laughs> yeah, who am I to stop Michael Jackson, you know, singing mm. the song, but he wasn't singing it the way Lenny envisioned it. But this is the thing with Prince songs, like when you get the song, it's already done. The way it's sung, the harmonies, everything, everything's there. So it's these guide vocals, it's, it's very full formed. It's not a guessing game for these artists that he's given it to. And it's almost like everything that we heard as the final product is, is the way it was envisaged. So... It's very nice to hear these versions with essentially Prince vocals on them. What I would like to see, though, a lot of people are saying already straight out of the gate they want to see originals too and they're starting yeah. track and petitions and all this sort of stuff. Personally, I don't want to see an originals too. What I would like to see, though, is these respective tracks come up as bonus material on their remastered albums. And what I mean by that is if they're going to release Vanity 6 or Apollonia 6 albums, more than likely I won't buy it because I've already got it. And if they're going to release it, you know, it's only six tracks, those albums. But if it was six tracks and a bonus disc with the same tracks sung by Prince, then oh, that's yeah. an incentive for me to buy it. Yep. Deluxe edition. So, deluxe yeah. editions, because there wouldn't be a lot of remixes or different songs to put on those. But if you give me the first disc as a remastered and the second disc, like you imagine the time albums, the first disc is a remastered time album. The second disc is Prince doing all the time songs. Timeless. <laughs> Timeless. There you go. <laughs> so I would rather that type of release than a standalone, because what I want to see going forward is new Prince, well, when I say new, but unheard Prince material. 
So that's what I want to see. I, I'm not opposed to the idea of originals, just not as a standalone project as it is. It's been done. Let's not flog a dead horse. So that's my message to whoever's listening. That's how I would do it. And think about it this way. You get double the money. If you put out a new Prince album in 2020 and some remastered albums, you, you, you're getting a two bites of the cherry. So I'm just putting that mm. out there into the universe. But, a, but again, Make what that, you will. that would require like a plan and some sort of logic and thought, which hasn't gone so <laughs> well, well so far. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's time for unheard material. Uh, maybe Captain's going to go into this a bit deeper, but I think the piano on Mike 83 last year was a bit of a misstep. Ooh, yeah. The charts this year for originals kind of indicate that and I have a theory about that which Captain will go into more detail but all in all I think this is a good release but I don't want to see it again I mean these should be reserved for deluxe editions or a streaming orb if you're going to put all the stuff onto a website and like a paper listen type thing great like go for it which leads me to my question to you guys if there was an originals too or more originals what tracks would you like to see on there I, I know uh, Toe Gemma said Screams of Passion. That was my first thought when I saw the track listing for this album. I thought, why is makeup on there and not Screams of Passion? Mm. My first Mutiny. choice would be to get out of the 80s. Yeah. He was still giving tracks away in the 90s. Well, I'd hey, like to what's see num- that. What's number one on their survey? 90s tracks. Exactly. 90s tracks. There you go. Yeah, but those 90s ones he gave away were a bit more obscure sometimes. He certainly didn't have like the massive hit. Not that I can think right now. He didn't have a big massive hit in the 90s with with someone else doing a new Prince song that no one had ever heard. You're forgetting Carmen Electra. (laughs) (laughs) He said massive hit. I want to hear, if I hear Prince singing Get On Up, I will just lose it. That's what I'm waiting for. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting to hear you say that, Tojem, because when you made the comment, I can't think of anything in the 90s, Really, the the last hit, the last massive hit that, or reasonably big hit that Prince had on the charts uh, around the world was is actually on this originals album. I think Martika's "That Will Be Done" from '91 is a, that's it. I think that's pretty much where it ended. I can't think of a a song that he wrote that he gave to another artist that came out since that date that was bigger. So from that perspective, I think this first originals project ended on the highest note it possibly could and maybe they knew that i don't know well for me like i said the song that i that was surprising to me that wasn't there was sugar walls because i thought well that's right smack bang in that purple rain era sheen easton was a big a big name it's a good pop song i don't i don't recall ever hearing a prince version of it but i assume i assume it exists but who knows maybe maybe it doesn't what else would you guys like to see mutiny i love bizarre the time songs, obviously. I did think I love Bizarre, but then, you know, it's it's still a duet between Prince and Sheila anyway. So. Yeah, well, his vocal is on that. It's just really low. Mm. All they'd have to do is really kick that one up. But, like, talking of those songs, that just makes me think that your idea is, is the best idea. If they're ever going to, like, remaster and re-release the Time albums and Apollonia and Vanity and all that stuff, again, they can do that. They can remaster it and release it, but... Some people might buy it, but there's no incentive to buy it except for it might sound a bit better. Exactly my point. But you put on a bonus disc, whether even if it's just like a few extended mixes or something, it's sort of an incentive. But you put the Prince versions on there as the second disc. I'm going to buy that. And I don't buy a lot of stuff, but I would buy that. And a lot of Prince fans would. But here they're just giving it away. It's yeah, that's it's such a good idea. God, someone make it happen, please. 
Yeah. I'm still thinking about what songs I'd, I'd want to hear. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe something like The Bird, maybe something like, as you said, Mutiny and, and Love Bizarre, etc. But I, I don't know that there is more than another disc's worth, another album's worth. Oh, there's worth. plenty. Oh, yes, there there's is. Plenty. I, I well, don't there's think another there's another album's worth, but whether the quality would be the question. They're not all yeah. here. Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting at. I don't think there's... Like, yeah. You're My Love voted worst track on this album mm. do we want a whole album of tracks like that that's what but that's what i'm getting at <laughs> i don't think i think this first originals album that's come out there's enough the vast majority of it is just a great material that it, it's just great to listen to but i think that there might be enough material for one more volume of originals so i.e originals volume two i think beyond that I'd be very surprised if there was enough material for originals three, four, and five, for example. After that stage, we'll be venturing into TC Ellis, Carmen Electra, <laughs> and Dougie and Fresh I, territory. And I don't yeah. think that's worth hearing. And I don't think for a global <laughs> audience. I mean, I'm just saying it as it is. I don't think it, the material. Well, by has, that logic, is, they will release it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not top shelf anymore. I think there's enough top shelf stuff to fill up one more originals volume, but then you're done. One song I was actually a little bit surprised wasn't on here, and there's an obvious reason why, but I was actually surprised that Prince's version of I Feel For You from the Prince album wasn't on here because the, obviously I think the Shaka Khan version, yeah, the Shaka Khan version is is probably, in terms of mass audience, the Shaka Khan version is much more well-known. Yet Prince's, you know, I would guess that most uh, Prince I fans, see what you're saying, yeah. And I'm not saying hardcore fans. Obviously, the hardcore Prince fans know this is on the Prince album. But the majority of average Prince fans probably haven't heard the Prince album in all likelihood. Oh, that's like Alicia Keys doing How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. It'd be that's the another good example, thing. though. There's another I'm one. That's another example. Like, I'm starting yeah. to like Toe Jam's idea, but I would go, for, I would go even further. I'd go original demos or something like that. So you get the I feel for you demo, the how come you don't mm. call me anymore demo if there was one, and then you make like a mini EP or something. That could be. I'm cool. not saying I want this. I'm just saying I was surprised that they didn't go down that road. Yeah, I don't mm. want stuff I've already heard. Yeah. <laughs> Who's next? I'll go. Okay, Captain, what are your final thoughts? Okay, finally. Overall, I think this is an adequate release is what I'll say. I might even go as far to say it's a good release, but there's just so many things that I don't like about it. <laughs> like, I understand this is this whole thing, it's basically about monetizing the vault and the bank's got to get their money, get their return on this investment in the vault. So I can see why this theme for an album was chosen. It's got to appeal to general public. It's got to appeal to fans. It's all about money. And that is the thing that Prince, you know, in some ways he was all about money and in other ways he was not. So that just sort of uh, annoys me in a way. But um, it's okay. And I just think us, we're just the poor fans. We just want anything from the vault because they're like, there's so much stuff that they could be releasing and they're just giving us Crumbs. Like crumbs, like one thing a year or something. It's just, we are all going to be dead before I reckon a quarter of the vault is out. The, 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 the rate they're releasing things, uh, it's insane. Captain, you're saying the rate they're releasing things. Keep in mind that if Prince didn't have that handshake deal with Jay-Z, we probably wouldn't have even had 
this release exactly. and we would just be sitting here waiting for who knows when exactly. the next thing would come out. So exactly. it's kind of crazy how this has happened. Like Toe Jam talked about the artwork. That I don't like. I don't like the picture. It's like those when you got those bootlegs of like a, a, a nude tour concert and it's got a picture from Purple Rain. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's bad. It's just a bad choice. Like, there's not even a, a, a song here from, like, the Dirty Mind era. It doesn't make sense. Am I the only one who sees that? Uh, play, I, player, obviously. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, is. I see your point, but there is. Like, wouldn't you love to love me from 70, wouldn't you love to love me from 76, and then the redone version is uh-huh. 81, 82. Makeup and from the majority 81. are from like yeah. 82, 83, 84. Majority. So why yeah. not put like an 83 picture? At least that sort of sits in the middle <laughs> of all the tracks. But no. <laughs> oh, I, again, whoever chose that, I don't know. And like the physical release, like that crappy little cardboard sleeve. And look, I know even oh, Prince was using those right. near the end because that's the cheapest way to do things, I guess. But <laughs> I don't want to spend $12, $16, $22, whatever a CD costs now for a little bit of cardboard like that. It's just, it's worthless to me. <laughs> it is interesting, eh? Because like CDs are basically redundant. You don't need them, but you buy them. For me, I buy them for the yeah, you collector, know, yeah. collectors, you know. And so if you're prepared to pay 20 bucks for an album, yeah, you're right. You don't, especially because you don't have to buy this album. You know, you can exactly. just stream it if you want. So if you are going to put your money down, you, you want something a bit more solid. You want some than quality. This, like, yeah. So well, have yeah. you seen that Japanese mm. version with the, it has a lyric booklet and a cardboard postcard. Mm. It's a little bit more substantial than the, the standard the, release. Those Japanese releases are always good. I've never seen a well, bad it's one. Not, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the ultimate release, but it is a bit nicer that there's some lyrics there and uh, like a little bit extra. It's, I, it's, I, it's I, almost mm. like with the standard release, it's like how much can we really skimp on this? Mm. Just put out. Which is only, it's only shooting themselves in the foot because it's like yeah. then the next time, if they're going to do that again next time, it's like, well, why am I buying these things? There's like, I can just stream exactly. it. Why am I buying it? Yeah. Which is what I was speaking to Captain about today about mm. Piano Mike. Yeah. Well, that's the next thing I'm going to that say. That misstep. That's the misstep. <laughs> what Player and I were talking about today, it seems like the estate really shot themselves in the foot by releasing Piano and Microphone 83 as the first, you know, proper vault, first posthumous album from the estate. Everyone knows Prince had, had has, whichever one you want to say, a vault full of thousands of songs, many of them finished, completed. Even non-fans were interested in the idea that, you know, all these unknown songs are in this vault that Prince had. Add to that the fact that there's been a lot of interviews around this release mentioned that Prince himself said that he didn't even give his best songs to Warner Brothers. So, you know, they're sitting in the vault, all these tracks which are better than like When Doves Cry and 1999 Little Red Corvette. So what did they put out? A 35-minute cassette tape recording of him playing a piano in a basement with very average sound quality. And as soon as they announced, before it was even released, as soon as it was announced, me and I'm sure many other people, we just sort of groaned for several reasons. One of us was that a lot of us had heard this because that tape has been circulating forever. And I know that's not a real logical reason because we shouldn't have heard it, blah, 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 that's our fault. But then the other main reason was why this al- why that album? 
Like, I get the tenuous link to his last, his final tour, but should that really be the basis for the entire album, the first posthumous album that's released? And then you have the general public hearing this first album from the from the legendary vault, which is full of thousands of songs never released, better than the stuff he ever <laughs> released given to Warner Brothers, and we get a 35-minute cassette basement recording. Captain, are you... People would be thinking, what the <laughs> hell is this? Where are these thousands of great songs from the vault? Captain, what Captain, is this? You realize, you realize that we recorded that 83 Piano and Mike episode last year. We, this is okay. the originals review now. People would be thinking, what the hell is this? When Where are all these thousands of great songs in the vault? What is this thing? So after that first posthumous proper vault album release, God, all these words we have to use. Um, I'm just not surprised that any Prince fan or general Prince fan are going to be especially wary of future releases. They could have easily released Black is the New Black or Hit and Run Phase 3, whatever it was, and made a massive big thing about, oh, it's the last Prince album that he was working on. And that would have been big. But then they put out that. Here's a crappy sounding tape from a million years ago. I mean, what the hell is this? So I've, I've got to pass it to player now. After all that, player is going to finish this off because I've just talked about it's made me too angry now. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting angry about an album we're not even talking about. He's getting about an album we're not even talking about. This makes no sense. <laughs> We did, and by the way, I'm pretty sure, almost word for word, that's what you said last year when we reviewed that album. Well, I only wrote that. I only wrote this today, so that shows you how much I believe it. If it's in my brain, still, <laughs> yes, they're very passionate about it. So now, player, it's all on you, based on your conversations with Captain. Wrap it up. To, Wrap it up. To link, <laughs> oh, crap. no to pressure. Link what Captain just said to whatever you're about to say. Whatever to link it to some common sense. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so what Captain is getting at is that piano mic release was a bad first choice because people who had the idea that there was all this cool stuff in the vault got this subpar taped uh, rehearsal. Yes. And the thing is, is whilst Piano and Mike 83 debuted on the chart higher than originals, so... It seems like people were interested in listening to what was potentially in the vault, but now they're very wary. So when Originals comes out, even though there's a massive promo, I've really got to give it up for them on the promo front. They've done really mm. well on that. Really well. There's stuff everywhere. There's articles. It's really good. They've really, really pushed it. But the end result is it's only debuted at number 16 on the chart, which is lower than Piano and Mike. So it seems like... People have gone, okay, I'm with you. I want to hear what's in the vault. And when they've heard this piano mic, they've gone, uh, well, now Originals that, comes along. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to this now. That's your theory, that's your theory about why the position, chart positions are different. It's not selling, I think, as well as they thought. I mean, it's decent, but... It's yeah. okay, but with all this promo and stuff and they've got things it like Manic been Monday, better. all this... Yeah, it should have been a lot stronger because what was released from... The piano mic, there was that thing that was in the Spike Lee movie, Mary, Don't You Weep. And then you've got Manic Monday and Nothing Compares and all these potentially hit songs on this and it's nowhere doing as well. It's That's very weird. This should like eclipse that easily and it hasn't done that, even know, with all this yeah. promo. The, I wonder if that's got something to do question with... question you pose, but I wonder, it could be 101 different reasons, right? Well, I mean, it could be something to do with the fact that this was streamed for two weeks before it received a physical release and how that plays into chart success. Yeah, that would have had an effect on... Yeah, for sure. It certainly would have but had an still, effect on like yeah. physical sales, surely. 
It would have had to because some people would have heard it and said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to buy it now. Yeah. Well, considering that I'd say the majority of Prince fans are not as young as we used to be, a lot of them will still want that physical release. And they're not just going on, you know, oh, I'm going to stream this thing. Yeah, and then that makes Whenever your sense, title cause... subscription ends, that's it. The al- you don't have the album anymore. Yeah, older people don't like that. They want to own the album that they paid for. Yeah, but if you assume that all the people that bought Piano 83 bought this, then the, the stats don't make sense. So there, there have to be many other factors and reasons as to why the chart position is different. There have to be. Yeah, there'd have to be, but you can't discount that one either. You can't, no, you can't. It's, a, that's a, it's definitely a big one, I think. It's just, yeah, peop, it's not selling as well as they expected. But yeah, the title definitely had some effects, but I still think a lot of people who want a physical album, they're still going to buy it. The other thing about chart positions, though, is that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't sell, although I don't have the stats in front of me. Have you, have you guys had a look out of interest as to how many copies it sold in the first few weeks versus how many copies this has sold? I don't know. But don't the charts these days even include streaming numbers? Correct. I don't know. Yeah, do they? I think they do. They well, do. Korean ones do. I don't know what else yeah, other people do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about that. It's just a rant, but this album's okay. I will listen to it occasionally. And oh, the other thing, Originals 2, do I want that? If that's the only option, then sure, why not? But there's so many other choices that we could have, should have, Instead of that, that's well, the survey what I'll say. speaks for itself. Yeah, that's true. Like, if I get the Tevin Campbell version of Shush, <laughs> like, I mean, I'd love to hear <laughs> Prince start the song off the same way with that, yo, what's up? That really lazy way that yeah. Tevin does it, yo, what's up? But like, I have no interest in that sort of stuff. I'd rather just have a new album, new album, with new material. And that's a good selling point. Like, this is 100% album with unheard stuff on it. And save all this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it's not good, but save it for the deluxe versions. You can re-release stuff, and that's the incentive for people to buy that stuff. One, I'll just say one other thing with this release is is the the mixes done now. Hopefully, we'll be finding out some more information on this pretty soon. Uh, there wasn't much in the liner notes, but um, there's lots of uh, things which I think me and Player will talk about at, at a later date. There's about a lot of these tracks have a lot of reverb on them and there's lots of mixing choices and early fades on tracks. So uh, I think um, I think this podcast is long enough now, so we might continue in a, a, a Captain Says episode. For those who want to hear me rant even more and Player 2, come and join the fun. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Let me take this off your hands. I'll, I'll give you guys my uh, final thoughts. Please end, end it on a positive note. How about that? Three Try. hours later. Well, that won't be that won't be difficult to do because I have very much enjoyed. <laughs> I, that, I, well, and the fact that I very much enjoyed this release. When Originals was announced, just the announcement alone. Even though I didn't read the track listing, I read the announcement up to a point, and I got the gist that. You know, this is this was a very unique and exciting project, and so it hit me completely from left field when that press release came out. When we got the email into our inbox, and I was like, "Wow!" Considering the mammoth task that just the archivists alone, even today, still have in front of them to document and categorize everything, and and take notes, and really, you know, put things in order. The fact that they were able to come up with this sort of concept of songs that Prince originally recorded and then gave to other artists, I thought was ingenious. From a legacy perspective, I think this does nothing but increase his legacy. It deepens it. 
it shows people to a much larger degree than I think any other release has since his passing of his immense talent with regards to the kind of music he was putting out, the breadth of his music, the variety of it, the different styles and genres that he plays around with. I think there's been nothing that's come out since then that's really proven that to people on such a large scale. And um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy listening to it except for a couple of comments that I made about a couple of songs in our Mammoth 5 or 6 hour review. (laughs) One of them was about sound quality and another one was, you know, I could take it or leave it. The vast majority of material on here I think is brilliant. It's even interesting as a hardcore Prince fan hearing this stuff because the majority of it hasn't even been circulating, not in these mixes. So that is pretty impressive. You know, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting maybe high quality bootleg versions, but for the most part, we're getting unheard versions of Prince material. You know, you're hearing his voice in particular in a way that you've never heard before. So for me, that's a massive thumbs up. I actually also really like the album cover. I think it's a great shot, uh-huh. shot by the <laughs> shot by the same guy that did the Dirty Mind album cover. Is it is it is that Alan? Alan Bolu, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is? Oh wow, I knew something. <laughs> So yeah, like I said, it's a great shot and I really like the building blocks slash brick wall idea, you know, peer behind the curtain. You could look at it a few different ways. You could look at it as just a poster on, on, on a brick wall, like I said, but I kind of envisage it as conceptually as like, you know, peer back behind the curtain, behind the poster. These are the building blocks of what would end up being songs for other people. I know that's probably not the intent, but that's what I've put into my own brain about how I I thought they that. put the picture of him with the brick wall because that's the way they mastered the album. It's perfect. Brick wall. <laughs> there you go. Well, Isn't that I, I'd, how it agree. Works? I'd probably have laughed louder if, if, if I agreed that the album was brick wall, but that brings me very nicely to my next point, and I already made this throughout the review, that generally speaking, the, the dynamic range is pretty good on here. There's some bright moments. Yes, there are a few bright songs, mm. but on them, for the most part, and I think the actual measurements have now come out, if you know where to search, this is surprisingly well mixed from a dynamic range perspective compared to a lot of really crappy stuff that's been coming out the last few years from other artists. What it's, else can uh, I tell you? It's, it's definitely not as bad as it could have been, but it's yes, uh, it's not great. Yeah, yeah, I mean... This this is this album is mastered much better than the last five or six albums that Prince released <laughs> when he when he was still here. So I think that's saying something. But anyway, I thought this would be a perfect place to share with you guys some things that I uh, discovered, some patterns and observations that I made about this album. It hit me that the word love is such a big part of the music on this release when you really think about it. Four of the 15 songs on this album have the word love in the title. Another three prominently use the word love as part of the lyrics and almost all of the songs on this record deal with one aspect of love or another. I don't know how or why I made this connection, but it's pretty remarkable actually. It's just kind of crazy. And if you compare that with a lot of other themes across Prince's career that he's played around with, I don't know whether it must be by coincidence, but then I started thinking, okay, who took these originals and and worked with them and put them out on their own albums? What kind of artists were they? I went through the names and then I noticed something. 11 
of the 15 songs, I'm going to say that again, 11 of the 15 songs on this Originals album were given to female artists. If you include Sinead's popularizing version of Nothing Compares to You, that's 11 out of 15. I think that is remarkable. We're talking about a male artist and his original material that, I don't know, like 75 or 80% of artists who, rec- who he gave it to were females. So just really remarkable from that perspective. I've always thought uh, Sex Shooter was a song about love. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, so that's that. But look, final thoughts as far as just this, just wrapping up this release for me. I think it's a really important release. It shows people who may not have known what a truly remarkable, diverse songwriter he was. And in many cases on this album, it makes the general public and people that may not have been aware, it actually makes them aware that he originally wrote all these songs. He arranged them. He delivered them. In particular, massive hits like Jungle Love, Manic Monday, Nothing Compares to You and Love They Will Be Done. People can now truly appreciate his contribution to the pop canon and to music in a completely different light. So, you know, I know you guys have spoken a lot about Piano and Mike 83, and I to this day maintain that it's from the purely from the perspective of increasing and deepening his legacy, that was a good album. I don't play it much, mm-hmm. but I think from that perspective, it was a good, very good album to release. I haven't listened to that once since we reviewed it. Not once. Okay. So, <laughs> well, after hearing your thoughts about it, I'm not surprised, but <laughs> that I, I do think it, it increases and improves his legacy. And I think this one does so as well, possibly to a larger degree. And again, I don't really have too many negative things to say about this. I think they really hit it out of the park. I haven't got the, as of recording this show, I haven't got my vinyl yet. So I don't know what that looks and feels and sounds like. I'm hoping it's going to be even better, but who knows? I can understand two things. The task they've got in front of them, which is just insurmountable almost, it seems like, with the amount of material that's in the vault. To come out with something like this and to be able to somehow get through the red tape of actually releasing this material, i.e. the title relationship, I think it's it's pretty darn cool. And um, Like I yeah. get that part of it. I get they've got a vault full of stuff and they've got to somehow figure out what to do. But doing that with just a few people sitting in a room seems like a bizarre way to do it to me. When there's yeah, but look at what they've produced, though. Look at the songs. But look, in this instance, for originals, now, I'm not talking about 83, <laughs> might be on a microphone, but with this originals project, think about how many massive hits they've ended up putting on this album that people are familiar with and, they, and but may not have been familiar that Prince was behind them. Like, that, that alone is, is, I think, a great move. All right, so that was our Mammoth Originals album review by the Peach and Black podcast. Thank you for listening. But before we go, we want to end today's episode for everyone listening with a, uh, a somber moment, I guess, in tribute to someone who we lost recently, a super hardcore Prince fan and also a super big fan of the Peach and Black podcast. He was also a fellow Australian. And I am talking about Josh Armore, often known as Joshy to us and to many of the people who, who knew him. And we also send our thoughts out to Joshy's family. Certainly a, a larger than life character, like always hilarious. Every time I met him, he was always upbeat. He was always super enthusiastic about what you were doing. Like I remember he came along to a cheap face gig in Adelaide. Uh, I remember meeting him outside the Sydney Opera House again and like just talking to him on, online, trading bootlegs back in yes. the day. He just had such a larger-than-life personality. He was, he was a crazy MF in the best way. 
<laughs> if anyone remembers from our 2012 12, tour review, yeah. and we talked about Joshy, he was the one he had. He made up this big, what is it? Please play endorphin machine. Play endorphin machine. And he <laughs> held that up at the shows he was at. Prince never played endorphin machine, but that's a, that's another problem. But um, everyone saw Joshy and his sign. That's for sure. That's it. <laughs> he was known for the sign. Yeah. Yeah. I think I said this to Player just the other day at that show in Melbourne. We had the the VIP pass, and I had access around the entire symbol on the floor. And I must have done at least 10, 15 laps around that thing. And every time I went past Joshy, it was like high five. Ah, oh, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a similar memory to, to Toe Jam in that I met Joshy at the 2012 Australian shows. And he saw me and we kind of got to talking and he's like, oh, you're from the show. You're from Peach and Black. And he just gave me this massive hug. And I recognize yeah, your was. voices. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But he was all smiles and all positivity. And he had a great vibe about him. And I just remember just out of the blue, this, this stranger at that time anyway, um, to me, you know, gave me this hug, but he was already a, a hardcore Prince fan and definitely a, a big fan of our show and showed us a lot of love. And I think in, in some ways um, was inspired by our show to, to start his own shows. Isn't that right, player? Uh, Wrestle Radio Australia? Correct. Um, the very first podcast he ever heard was Peach of Black and he was also a fan of wrestling, so it inspired him to do a wrestling podcast. Yeah, he heard us talking Australia. all about Prince on the on the podcast, and he's like, "Well, yeah. why can't I do this for wrestling? Why can't and I do that it?" And, and he did really it successful. Yeah, and it was like a pioneering podcast in the wrestling world. So mm. it definitely inspired him. Aside from Prince, he really loved Michael Jackson. He also loved In Excess. Yeah, um, I remember the first time that I met him. He was also pivotal in the Prince fan community in Australia. He created a group back in the like Yahoo board days, like really primitive internet days. He created a board called Prince's Aussie Rainbow Children. It was called Park for short, P-A-R-C. And he was very instrumental in starting that and gathering Australian fans together. If it wasn't for Joshy, like a lot of the people that we all know, we wouldn't have known because this is pre-Facebook days. And he was instrumental in putting that together. I first met him at the 2003 shows and we had organized a meeting place. And when I got there on that day, that meeting place was shut down. I never knew that it was shut down. And I started to panic because I thought people wouldn't be able to find each other. And um, Marty came from all the way over from New Zealand and he was saying hello to me. And I, I must have appeared really rude to Marty because I was really stressed out about, oh, my God, like we're never going to find each other. But we found an alternative place. And as soon as I saw Joshy, like he was like a little brother. He came up and same, like he hugged me. He was just so full of energy. It was just like, you know, he really put me at ease because I was really stressed out. And he was like so happy to see everybody. And it was just amazing. Mm. Like he was just a, such an amazing dude. And every time I saw him, he was just so yeah. amazing. He was always, and it's, he was always like that. Mm, yeah, always, always. He was. I remember him standing outside the Sydney Opera House when we all caught up to see the Prince concerts then. And 
He was on cloud nine. I mean, all of us were, yeah. but he just, he, you could not wipe the grin off mm-hmm. his face. And, you know, as, as happy as he was to see Prince at such an iconic venue, I think he was probably as happy to just chill with the Prince fan community because he was like going from that, one circle yeah. to another and everyone knew him and he was always, he was just in the middle of everything, it seemed, you know, you know drink in hand and, and wearing his hat and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was brilliant. That's my last memory of him and, and it's, it's a great memory to have. Oh, MC, you just talked about your last memory. I'll talk about my first memory. I can't remember exactly where I met him online. I think it was Prince.org. And eventually we were on, um, who remembers AIM, AOL, Instant Messenger? Yeah. I used to send him, like I'd have like, I don't know, a, a nude tour show, you know, all in single <laughs> MP3s. I'd be sitting there. It, 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 this is when uploading speed was like about 4K, like that <laughs> slow, like snail pace. And I'd be uploading a file to him and we'd just be chatting away and like listening to other music. <laughs> and that's that was, yeah, I just remember hours upon hours upon hours, weeks and months of just sending files back and forth and chatting away in the chat. That's um, that's what I'm going to remember. And also, too, if you want to hear a chat between Joshy and Captain, there is a podcast on Captain Says. It's really enjoyable enjoyable to listen to. So oh, go and yeah. check it out. Oh, also, yeah, that's a great reminder player. I, I heard that the other day, and it was it was so much fun to hear it was, what yeah. you guys talk about. And it's a great, great example of uh, what everyone knows, Captain, but it's a great example of, of Josh. And we're not really talking about anything. We're just talking. Having a chat, yeah. So, yeah, if you go find the Captain Says podcast, episode four, way back, 4th of June, 2015. Wow. I think we should also wow. yeah. we should also say to our audience, if you want a copy of the Nude Tour album, just message Captain. <laughs> <laughs> He'll upload it in 4K speed. And yeah. he will only reply if you contact him via AIM or whatever that <laughs> program is called. Oh, God. Does it even <laughs> exist anymore? I wow. don't know. And what was cool about that as well is that he's obviously a massive Prince fan, but he never took Prince too seriously, and I always liked that about him. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, he was he was as big a Prince fan as, as you can get, equal if not beyond us in some ways, but he never took it all too seriously, which was good. You've got to have that sense of humour, though. There are certain Prince fans that take yeah. Prince way too seriously, uh, and Joshy, always, he was always able to see through that kind of the celebrity aspect of it, and he was there for the community, I think. So. And every Australian Prince fan would have, like, a Joshy story. Everyone would have <laughs> their own thing because he, he impacted so many people. I think it's important to say to our listeners that if you're in a dark place or a troubled place, that there is people and organizations that you can reach out to, Mm. even if that's Peach and Black Podcast. If you don't feel like you have somebody to turn to, just turn to us even, send us an email, get in touch with us. We'll, you know, we'll help anybody, whoever Mm. we can. We don't want to see anything happen to anybody like the way it happened to Joshi. So everybody's out there for everybody else. We all look out for each other. And it's important that people know that there is people to talk to and Mm. we're all here for each other. Like in Australia, there's, you know, there's Lifeline, there's Beyond Blue, there's, um, there's a bunch of places you can call. And I'm sure in America and Europe, they've got very similar things. But um, yeah, go talk to someone if you need and to it, talk to someone. And do check in on each other. If you've got Prince friends that you haven't heard from in a while, just check in on them, make sure that they're okay. Reach out to them and see how they're doing. Um, we all love Joshi and we all miss him and this show, this original show, part one, part two, is dedicated to the memory of Joshi. Yeah. And we'll always miss you. 
Yeah, definitely. Very well said. And and to your point, you know, it's only a phone call away, isn't it? So often just to get some support or some reassurance, such an easy thing to do these days with all of the technology we have today. It doesn't even need to be a phone call. It can be a text. It can be a message. Mm. Um, but if you feel like saying whatever's on your mind or, or just sharing or, or even feeling the need to connect with someone, uh, so many outlets. So yeah, that's definitely a message we want to leave you guys with. And to everyone who's listened to this episode and to this show, thank you for listening and for your continued support. And uh, we will keep the train rolling, this peach and black express <laughs> train going. Um, take care and, and stay safe. Uh, I think the best way to end this is just to, um, just to play a little bit of this, this song right here. classic peach and black podcast catch all our episodes at podbean.com apple podcasts spotify google podcasts stitcher TuneIn, mixcloud and all good podcast directories search for peach and black podcast you can continue the peach and black experience online find us on facebook twitter instagram and youtube the Peach and Black podcast is written and produced by Rob S, Player, Toejam, and Captain. Original theme music by Toejam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com. 